All right, so I don't, I don't really want to, I don't really want to start this off with singing. Uh, I don't really want to start this whole like birthday jamboree off with. Ooh, the tips are already coming in. Thanks, gals. I don't, I don't want to start this whole show off with like a lot of singing because I'm not comfortable with it yet. Send that money in, babies. Um, and then especially not today. I'm not like a hundred percent with it because I just put myself through a bunch of physical stuff. But you guys like it. So just <clears throat> super quick, I always get so nervous right before, just happy, happy birthday to happy, happy me. All right. So that's all we're getting for singing. And I, you're welcome for that. That's all you get. And I hate you all. And I totally understand why Dan Harmon comes out and doesn't want to rap anymore. I totally get it. He began every podcast coming out and rapping about fucking your mom, and it was great fun. Uh, but then, like, people got too into it, and then, like, rap artists started, like, sampling him, and it started to be too much pressure, and they stopped coming out and rapping. And it's kind of the same thing with singing. I've gotten to the point now where I can kind of sing a little bit. And therefore, A, when I don't nail it, I feel horrible. And B, when I, when I do get it, but I think I can do better and everyone's happy, I'm like, ah, but I can do better. And I know that you, I know there's so many people out there nodding their heads right now. This is how we're beginning the birthday show. It's going to be a bit of a wild one. Uh, we've got lots of porn. We've got lots and lots to talk about. But before we get into any and all of that, I got to talk about starting to drink again. And I got to talk about how crazy I can drink these days. So. Uh, real long and short of it is, I'm, I'm still on my hunt for a cocktail that I can enjoy on occasion that doesn't have too many calories, that I can just sip and I can enjoy this cocktail. And most of all, I don't want to be fixing it. This is, this is the number one thing for me. My life is a fucking picnic. Literally. If it can't fit into a picnic motif, it's too complicated for me. I don't want it. So I don't want a drink or a cocktail that I'm, like, sitting at the fucking, like, barbecue, the family barbecue or something. I'm like, shit, again, strange. No, I want to sit back. I want to have a good time. Beer is just too many calories. Beer is perfect. It's just too many fucking calories. All right? And so I want beer. But half or less calories. And I'm just, I've been on this, this hunt for a long time. And, and if anybody out there is like, have you tried a gin and tonic? I hope you die. I hope you die in front of somebody that you would be so embarrassed to die in front of. Yes, I've tried a gin and tonic. I've tried everything with quinine in it. Are you kidding me? It doesn't scratch the itch. It's too citrusy. There's too much and you get gassy and you pour it. 
Oh, and you got to mix it. You got to mix it fresh every time. Half the time, the fucking seltzer bottle explodes. I can never keep, can never figure out. Do you keep it at fucking room temperature and you just keep more ice on you than a Hillary expedition to the Arctic? Or do you try and fucking put that water and chill it down and then you just hope it doesn't jizz in your eye each and every fucking time you open up that white cap? Yes, I've tried a gin and tonic. I've somehow heard of this magical drink. It's real hard to get super fucked up on gin and tonics. It's okay. To, it's real easy to get a little fucked up on gin and tonic. It's hard to get the right amount of fucked up. Also, I'm just going to say, clear liquors, clear liquors, frozen cocktails, you can't freeze gin. What are you doing? <laughs> also, clear liquors and seltzer, it's really hard to tell when you've overboard the liquor. So that's another way it's hard to get the right amount of drunk on a gin and tonic. You can definitely overpour. So, <clears throat> I like pitcher drinks. And I've been making something since the end of last year that I've been calling Gut Punch. Because I couldn't come up with a good name for it. And basically all I did was make southern style sweet tea. I would take orange pico tea bags, okay? And I would steep them, oversteep them, because we're going to pour it over ice, uh, in a saucepan. After the tea was done oversteeping a little bit, pull out the tea bags, and I would put in ginger, and I would put in lemon, and I would put in orange. And then I would steep that at a lower, I'd simmer that down till the ginger was nice and broken up. And then I would pour that over ice with bourbon. And it was very pleasant. I had drank it all Christmas and I enjoyed it. I've been thinking about it since. I really enjoyed it. I called it Gut Punch. Why did I call it Gut Punch? I couldn't come up with a good name for it. It's kind of like a punch. And if you drink this, you're going to have really, really interesting shits. You are. And I'm not trying to not be sexy, but I'm just being real interesting with you. There's, I'm dead serious about this. Before anybody gets on me, there's a science to it. Uh, tea and caffeine help you poo. Ginger helps you poo. And the alcohol that is the easiest for your body to metabolize without any kind of digestive issue is bourbon. So, it's basically kind of like a giant laxative. And you are Santa sending logs down the chimney on the toilet while you're drinking it. But you're so fucking drunk, you don't give a shit. It's fantastic. It's the only time over Christmas I ever drank my whole way through, and I lost two pounds. I ate cookies and brownies and drank bourbon every day, and I lost weight. It's fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. So I called it Gut Punch because you'll drink it in your guts like, hey, Hello! All right. It's a party in here, too. Uh, but I've been looking up the recipes to improve it and whatnot. Uh, and I found out that I was basically making a shitty, low-rent, ghetto version of something that's called a cold toddy. Uh, it's a hot toddy. A hot toddy's a drink you've heard of. A cold toddy's a drink you've never heard of. I know. Tended fucking bar and I've never heard of a cold toddy. Heard plenty of hot toddies from old ladies who wanted things real specific like. And so I, I found the recipe for a cold toddy. I, I just made my second batch of it. I'm drinking a little bit of it right now. Uh, but I made a batch earlier on this week before I went on the road trip that I'm about to talk about today, just during vacation, during the staycation portion of my vacation. Did go out and about, but a couple of days I just sat around getting drunk and playing cards, and it was fucking fantastic. And so the cold toddy recipe is, I pretty much nailed it. I pretty much did. 
Uh, the only difference is you take the orange juice, you take the lemon juice, you take a little orange and lemon rind, you put it in the saucepan, the fruit juice and the rind in the saucepan, with some cinnamon stick, broken up cinnamon stick, and some clove. And you let that turn into kind of like a nice little roux. And then you make uh, tea, essentially, the, the, the tea, you pour the tea, water and tea into that, and you make tea out of that, and then you pour that over the ice. And I made that. And it's a fantastic drink. It really is. It's very, very smooth. Um, now, I haven't been drinking in 2019. I really haven't been drinking in 2019. Uh, I've been doing a lot of weed, and I'll be talking about that decision here in a second. Uh, like all the weed I've been doing these last three years. It's been three years since I started doing weed. And about two years since I've become a daily fucking user, uh, just a total pothead. Just pretty much high all the time. And so, <clears throat> uh, I haven't been drinking this year. And I figured, 100%, oh, if I, if I get a big bottle of bourbon, right? And I make a pitcher or two of this, that'll do me. Because I don't have any fucking tolerance anymore. Or so I thought. Because here's what happened. When I poured all the fucking bourbon in, and I bought a 1.75 of bourbon. A normal alcohol, a normal bottle of, of alcohol is uh, 750 milliliters. I bought the 1.75, a little more than twice. I poured half of that, so a little more than a bottle of alcohol, of bourbon, into the mixture, into the giant pitcher. I've got a giant pitcher, right? And I was thinking, okay, I'll drink that over the next two or three days. That'll be fun. I'll drink that. For two or three days, that pitcher of drinks. Oh, by the way, just a note of point, because it was my vacation, because I've been so good, I also bought a 12-pack of my favorite label of beer. Yeah, I'm sure that detail won't come up later. So, I poured myself the first round of cocktails. I ate myself a little hash cookie, half of a hash cookie. I smoke a little bit of my vape pen. And I'm drinking my cocktail. And I'm playing cards. And for the first time in 2019, uh, I'm playing cards against real-life human beings with a deck I've made. Because I slayed the Spire. I didn't talk about this, but right before my birthday, I slayed the fucking Spire! I've been trying to do that for a fucking year and a half, and I finally did it at the highest difficulty. I finally got an A20 Slay the Spire build, and it was a wacky, crazy build, too. It felt wonderful. I finally got my last A20. I finally slayed the fucking Spire, uh, a game that less than one out of 12 people can play that, that play it beat it. I beat it at the hardest fucking settings. And I was like, well, that's it. I slayed the fucking Spire until the next class comes. Another class is going to come out, and that'll be very fun. Uh, but until that does, I'm pretty much done with Slay the Spire. And so I got back into Hearthstone, and I tried Magic the Arena, and I've been playing against real-life human beings. And I'll be talking about PTSD and anxiety and whatnot later, because it's a fun show. It's a comedy show. Isn't everybody having a great time? Let me talk about PTSD and <clears throat> broken children and all kinds of shit. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So uh, I'm playing cards, and... Here's how it works. The more anxious and the more PTSD I am, 
the less options I see. And I make decks where I have a lot of options. I'm not here to play cards where every turn I'm like, oh, I hope to get I get to do this. Oh, I hope I get to do that. Like a five-year-old. I'm not I'm not in for that. I play decks where I'm like, okay, motherfucker, whatever you do, whatever you fucking do, I'm going to do something that's going to make you fucking hate me. Fuck you. You just had a bad day at the work factory? You just logged on to your little card game with your little net deck with the little with your little list of cards that you got from some celebrity because they work real good, some children's card game celebrity professional because that's the world we live in? Well, guess what, motherfucker? I made a deck that hurts your tiny little man brain. And I play them. And I'm not mean. I'm not an asshole or anything. But I do make decks that I think, that require thinking. For me to think, and hopefully require the opponent to go, well, shit, what do I do now? Hopefully, on occasion. I'm here to think. I'm here to use cards, combinations of cards. I can do anything with my free time. And what I want to do in a children's card game is use combinations of cards to make another human being go, huh. And that really gets me going. When I get a compliment from a little animated cartoon head, that means a lot to me. That's high praise. (laughs) It means more to me than praise I got from my parents, mostly because I didn't get any. Praise your kids, otherwise they'll end up like me. So, I, I mean, I, I really, I really enjoy, I told you, it's going to be a crazy fucking show. Buckle up. We're getting into it. So I'm drinking these drinks, and there's a particular deck that's just the scourge of Hearthstone right now. Nobody likes playing it or playing against it, but it has a very high win rate. It's very successful. Uh, it's fairly easy to play, too. And so, uh... I hate playing against it, and I make my deck pretty much just to counter this motherfucker. And I go up against the, the wall. It's a well-made deck that a professional... There's, there's people making millions of dollars playing Hearthstone every year. No joke. No exaggeration. And so making a good deck is, is very lucrative. So people are trying very hard to do it. And so people made this deck, and it's very annoying. I know, we're talking about card games a lot. But I play a lot of card games, and you're here for my show. And it's my birthday, so you love me. So... I (laughs) am getting irritated, and I'm getting frustrated, and as I do, I see less options. But I'm also letting the THC and the alcohol and the caffeine seep in. And what I don't realize is how much caffeine, I think, or sugar is in these things. I mean, I put the caffeine and the sugar in them. But I didn't think I was thinking about it. Because after, I'd say, two or three hours of of getting frustrated, the frustration just stopped. Like a zen moment. There's a Samurai Jack episode. 
Oh, we're kicking it old school. Where Samurai Jack fights Samurai Jack. It's Samurai Jack, and Samurai Jack fights Samurai Jack, because the only thing that can beat Samurai Jack is Samurai Jack. So a kook gets an evil Samurai Jack to fight good Samurai Jack, and then Samurai Jack and Samurai Jack fight. But after Samurai Jack and Samurai Jack fight, Samurai Jack realizes that Samurai Jack is just Samurai Jack. And so Samurai Jack, after that realization, uses his Samurai Jack sense of self to beat Samurai Jack by not beating Samurai Jack. Samurai Jack, on the other hand, sees this as weakness and attacks Samurai Jack. But what Samurai Jack doesn't realize is that Samurai Jack has had a realization about who Samurai Jack really is. And once Samurai Jack knows who Samurai Jack is, then Samurai Jack stands no chance, and Samurai Jack beats him. You follow that? So. Samurai Jack fights a, an evil mirror copy of himself that's the angry and aggression and powerful version of him, the Sith Lord to his Jedi. And because he is aggression and because he is anger, Samurai Jack is weaker and he's not capable. And he loses this fight throughout the entire episode. The entire episode is basically a 1v1 and our guy Samurai Jack is getting his ass handed to him the entire time. But then he looks at the anger and the rage that this guy has, and he realizes, that's in me too. I am that angry. And he, this reflection of me couldn't exist if that wasn't a component of me. And after he realizes this, he goes totally fucking zen. He goes as calm as he can possibly be. And this pisses off the angry shadow reflection of him to no end. How dare he not be seen as a threat? And he charges! And Samurai Jack in his Zen state knows exactly what to do with a wildly charging opponent and takes him out very effectively, like it wasn't there. His anger dissipates. And for the rest of the series... Samurai Jack never gets angry again. One thing that's really good about the Samurai Jack TV show, if you do watch it, if you're into it in any way, Samurai Jack actually does learn lessons and apply them to his character as the show progresses. He makes friends and allies, and he learns. It's pretty rare for a cartoon character. So, after a couple of hours of getting mad at a children's card game, it occurred to me, this is my choice. This is what I'm doing with my free time. This is what I'm doing with my life. Do I want to be here or do I want to enjoy it? Yes, I'm invested in making my deck work. Yes, I'm invested in the math. Yes, I'm invested in becoming better and better and better at these things. Not for any monetary reward. There's nobody watching. I don't even tell anybody about it. This is the first time I've told anybody that I'm playing Hearthstone again, and I never really tell anybody about it. But I'm pretty good at it. Pretty good at making druid decks, especially. And I want to, I take great satisfaction from making something that works over and over and over again in many different situations. I like making something that works so that even when you surprise me, I can surprise you back. Even when I don't know what you're going to do, I've still got gears and sprockets that I can put together that can answer what I didn't know. I can answer your unknown with mine. And when I can't get that right, it's so aggravating. Especially when it's right there. Especially when it's at 85, 88, 92%. Oh, that's so much worse than when it's half working. And so I got very kind of irritated while I was playing these cards, and I could feel the options flowing out of my brain. 
But the intoxication and the good time and the realization that I should not be so angry came in. And I didn't get angry angry. I didn't smash anything. I didn't pound the keyboard. I didn't scream. The cat was peacefully sleeping next to me the entire, quote-unquote, irritable episode. She was very lovely. I got to pet her the whole time through. I got to pet her basically all the times that I was playing cards. It's very nice. And it's great stress relief. And I just took it better. I got easier. It got easier to play these cards and to take the punts. And I did really well, and I ranked up a bunch. I still haven't hit Legend this season since I was playing for the first time in two years. Yada, yada, yada. But I was playing my deck, and it was going well. Even though it was the same deck that I've been playing with against the same decks, against the same level of opponents. But now I was allowing the options to come back into my brain. And a little bit later in this, I'm going to be talking about PTSD and what happens when I have a real freakout. When I have a real full freakout, what happens? I've never talked about this. This is one of my deepest shames. But I feel ready after this birthday trip to finally do it. So this is kind of a prelude to that. But now we're having a little bit of fun because I want to talk about how fucking high I am playing cards. And I'm drinking this fucking drink and I'm drinking this fucking cold toddy. This is after the irritation. And this is, we're getting fun again, I promise. And I'm playing cards and I'm winning and I'm losing, but I'm losing and I'm having fun because when I'm losing, I'm all inning and I'm doing what I want to do and I'm playing how I want to play and it's a lot of fucking fun. And I realize as I'm running back to pour myself another fucking cold toddy after cold toddy, like running back so I can play more cards so I can watch more mystery Science Theater 3000 classic and listen to some more prog rock and just have a great, relaxing, nerdy fucking time. Just a great fucking, relaxing, nerdy fucking time, right? Just really into it. I realize I'm actually running. I'm physically running to the fridge and back. I've never run to the fridge and back. I'm caffeinated as fucking balls. But I'm also drunk and high. And so I'm sitting down and I'm putting these cards and I'm realizing... I am the 1930s, 1940s scalawag version of a four loco scumbag today. I am the 1930s, 1940s southern suspenders wearing. Everyone's like, oh, that gladabout on his hot toddy. He's getting all worked up. Oh, that Jack and his devil may care drink with his hot toddies. And I'm like, ah, to you, constable, fie to you. And I'm running away on my fucking velocipede. Just pedaling away. Ding, 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 ding. I may have, may have, I may have brought in things from several different times that had nothing to do with the 1930s in there. Just fucking go with it. My handlebar mustache, my giant, I'm just literally lifting weights and barbells on my bike. Come, sir, I need another cold toddy. Another cold toddy! Somebody sees me. The time traveler all fucked up on my 1933 equivalent of Four Loco. Just screaming off the top of my head. And they just can't stand it. And they just can't stand it. They see society degrading. They think about all the women, all the good, noble, chaste women that I must be uh, destroying and converting with my evil, wicked ways. They think about how I am an absolute destruction to society. And because they don't know what a hot toddy is, they assume that I'm on some new drug. And immediately, they begin writing a screenplay called Reefer Madness. That's right! 
I did it. It was me. I made weed illegal. All right. All right. I don't know how to close that fucking sketch. And I was working on it for days now. So that's all you get. I know that's not like a huge endorsement of me at the live shows in the future, but that's what you get. So I couldn't try. I was, I was like, this is, this is a funny observation that it's a four loco for someone in the 1930s. How do you, how do you land that? It's funny, but where do you go? God damn it. Okay. So that was the introduction. Now we have a story. This is going to be quite a tale, and I'm telling you all now that if you don't want to hear it, you should skip ahead. I'm guessing at least 25 minutes, and maybe closer to 30 and start working your way back. This is a long, long story. And it's a true story. And this is the first time story of the Grey Knight intentionally going out to casually have sex with a fan. And it takes place one week ago today. So, I thought a long time about where to start this story, and I don't really know still. But I will say that she was a nice gal that she invited me to come to Austin. It's about a 13-hour drive, all things considered. And she explicitly invited me out of the blue. We hadn't been flirting or talking to come and have sex with her for my birthday. That was explicitly the opening offer. Your birthday's coming up. I, I looked at it. I said, Austin's not that far from where you're at. Your birthday's coming up. Would you like to come out and have sex? Now, she didn't do this out of nowhere. She had DM'd me a number of times before because she had bought commissions for me. Not phone sex, commissions. She bought audios for me, custom audios for me, several times. She was a repeat customer. And she was very nice. And I'm going to say, I don't judge anybody because I have weird fantasies. Or I, I did. I'm very vanilla these days. I tried to have a weird fantasy. Uh, like, I, I, tried, I watched Handmaid Season 2, you know? And, like, somebody, like, married a 16-year-old girl. And I was like, oh, God, that's tedious. There wasn't even, like, a fun little part in it for me. Like, before it even began, I just looked at that entire plot line. I was like, oh, God. I'd have to talk to her every night. Ugh. (laughs) So I can't even have fantasies anymore. Can't even have fun fucking fantasies anymore. I'm very vanilla. So I don't judge... But I did like that all of her fantasies were vanilla. They were. They were very soft, very sweet, and people get to request whatever they want when they buy me. And so the fact that she required, requested very soft and very sweet stuff, I liked it. I thought I had an insight into her character that I wouldn't normally, and I liked it. And I thought, you need to be brave. You need to be bold. And I said, yes. So it's about a month out when I agree. And I say I would love to come out for my birthday. However, I need to be very, very clear. 
I don't know if we're going to have sex, right? I just don't, because I don't do this kind of thing anymore. I haven't done this thing in a long time. My physicalness, it's a long drive. I, I don't know you. I don't do one-night stands. I don't know if I'm going to have sex with you. But I'd love to come out, and I would love, 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 if you're willing, if you're down for this, I would love to have your pussy be my birthday dinner. That I can promise. That I would love to do. I would love to drive down, put my head between your thighs, and ha for my birthday dinner, I would love to eat you out. Sex maybe, but that for sure. What do you say? Now, I don't know what you guys do hookups for. I don't know what you do hookups for. And everybody does hookups for different things. This is not a, I don't know what women do hookup thing. Everybody does hookups for different things. And people want different things from hookups at different periods in their lives. So don't think that I'm being a misogynist uh, more than I normally am, at least. Just a normal amount. Just a regular amount. I don't know what you guys do hookups for. But for me... A hookup is not about the physical sensation. I'm really good at making my dick shoot cum. I'm, I'm real, I'm better, I'm so much better at it than, think about how good the average guy at it is. Think about how much better at it the average nerd is. Think about how much better at it the average nerd who watches MST 3000 in the year 2019 for fun is. And then think about how much better I am at it than them. Than all of those assholes. Cause I am, cause I, because there's a lot of days where I wouldn't have masturbated, but I was paid to. So I've got all those experience fucking points on them. Every last one. Okay? So, I'm really fucking good at making my dick shoot cum. I don't need an orifice for that. I can buy my own drinks, essentially. Not what I'm here for. When I'm here for a hookup, okay, it's not about physical sex or orgasm or coming. I'm here to enjoy myself. I'm here for an experience. I'm here for me. I'm here to figure out what weird thing happens when the two of us mix. Because when two people mix and they communicate with their bodies, something interesting sometimes happens. They do become their own kind of entity. I want to have that experience. It is Epicurean, and that's what I have a hookup for. When I'm just having sex... That's what I want. And yes, in addition to that, I want a little bit of validation. I want the lady to have a real fucking good time. I want that. It makes me happy. It's a huge component. If I'm going to be clear, it's the central component in why I enjoy eating pussy. No, there's nothing particularly fun about moving your tongue up and down rapidly, just like there's not a lot of fun in bobbing your head up and down. You would do it all the time if that's what was fun. You'd pucker your lips up, you'd look like those stupid fucking ba da ba -da Muppets, and you'd bob your head up and down like you were listening to Umbop Death Metal Remix. Okay? You would. It's not about the action when you enjoy giving head. It's about what you get out of the action. Can we, can we just be clear about, and that's fine. I don't want to take that. You enjoy pleasing a man. You enjoy the way, maybe some of you really enjoy the way the cock feel, the cock feel, the mouth feel, as Natalie from ContraPoint says. Maybe some of you really love that. Sure. But really, you enjoy the moan, you enjoy the connection, you enjoy the sex, you enjoy being there, being seen, being heard, being felt. Don't you? I know that I do. 
That's what I like about eating a fucking woman out, okay? Great. So if we're on the same fucking page there, then you understand what this is. This is a man who's been requested to come and have sex, has chosen instead to eat pussy, says it's a special occasion for him, and that's all been directly and clearly established on the table. I'm saying that because things are going to get a little tricky from here, and I'm very sensitive about it. Okay? I'm making my case because we're going to get into some real shit. So, <clears throat> about a month before I head out, we have a date on Discord where we talk and basically, I'm probing her. I'm making sure that she's not going to fucking freak out on me. Because a lot of women fucking freak out on me. And I'm not trying to be rude, especially if we've had this encounter and you're listening now and you knew me back then. But a lot of women sometimes will be all like, hey, here's a nude picture of me. I'll be like, you're fucking hot. And she'll be like, <laughs> and it's hard to fuck that. It's hard to, it's definitely hard to be all like, oh, I should spend hundreds of dollars to fuck that. That's hundreds of dollars of fuck worthy, for sure. Just saying, just being real, okay? So I had to make sure that she wasn't going to slowly run around the room at the same velocity, speed, and approximate sound of a giant party balloon filled with helium being released, okay? And guess what? She passes that test with fucking flying colors. She's good. And at one point on the date, because she is so good, I make her strip naked. I mean, we, we planned on this, obviously. I made her strip naked. She's on Discord for me. She's showing me her body. She's getting comfortable. I have her masturbate for me. And at one point, because she was doing so well, I went full dumb. And I was just like, put the camera between your legs. And she was like, no! I was like, put the camera between your fucking legs and open them. And she's like, no! And she's like, I want to look at that fucking pussy. Show me that fucking pussy. And she did. And it was a beautiful, freshly shaved pussy. And I said, I loved how much her panties looked. I loved that she cleaned it for me. I loved how nice it was. I loved every part of it. And she said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then I made her come. And then I promised that in the near future, I'd be booking the Airbnb and we'd see each other. That she did a great job. She had nothing to worry about. Please don't be too shy. She was very shy, but fairly understandably, yes? Okay. So I'm looking forward to this. And at this point, I think that I should describe her just a little bit. She is, and I'm, I, normally I wouldn't talk about what she looks like or how old she is in any way. I'd let you imagine that for you. But I told the story to two friends, and both friends immediately, as soon as I got done telling the story, asked the same question almost verbatim. How old was she? Was she young? Uh, and I just want to say, just, just to get this clear, just so you have a good mental image of this woman, she is, she looks a lot like Piper from Orange is the New Black. I found her very pretty both Piper and this woman, uh, and she's uh, in her late 20s, okay? So, age-appropriate enough, at least for a birthday fuck, yes? And not a spring chick, I mean young, very a young woman, okay? But I'm trying to say, this is not like Jack goes and fucks an 18-year-old, all right? Because that would make a lot more sense for where this story heads from here, okay? 
get that out of your head because the first question out of both people was, was she, was she a kid? No, she fucking wasn't. Here we go. I did not Epstein. I've never Epstein, and no one's going to ever Epstein me. No one's ever sending me to fucking Kevin Spacey Island. It's never happening, bitches. Never. I'm only going out on my own terms. Oh, wait, that's how Epstein went. I'm only going out on my own terms, not in a prison cell. Dark jokes. Okay. <laughs> so we continue texting throughout the month. We continue to have conversations on DM in various locations that I can be found on, and everything seems more or less fine. It's the actual day of. I wake up the night before. I drive down. It is going to be a 12-hour day of driving, and I get stuck in the car for 14. Happens. And I get a speeding ticket, the first speeding ticket in a long time. Bullshit. Little West Texas traffic stop, 10 over. Guys tip me tons of money so that I don't have to worry about that speeding ticket. Because it's that much money, but fucking tip me anyway. All right. So. Uh, the speeding ticket took like 20 minutes. Everything was fine. Everything was fine. I mean, I have my license. I have my insurance. Uh, I haven't gotten a speeding ticket literally in decades. Uh, or over a decade. Everything was fine. It's just a speeding ticket. I'm not worried about points or license or insurance or anything. Really. Uh, <clears throat> but it did take an extra 20, 30 minutes. It is a cop stop. The cop was a fucking bully. He he flashes his lights at me, and so I immediately turn on my uh, indicator saying, uh, I see you, officer, and I immediately slow down. But there's literally no shoulder, and so I drive until there's a shoulder, which does take about a mile because it's a rural Texas highway, right? You all with me? And so I pull over, and the very first thing out of this guy's mouth was, you love speeding, huh? And the very second thing out of this cop's mouth was, why didn't you pull over? Texas cops. So pay me to go through that experience because I didn't have a freak out and I'm very proud of myself. <clears throat> anyway, so 14 hours in and the only other thing that I'm going to talk about, this is a little scary. I'm going to talk about how I'm listening over to Aaron Mankey over the Bluetooth speakers on my phone with my phone navigation because I have a phone and a car with Bluetooth speakers now. It's wild. I've always driven uh, and used technology that was 10, 15 years behind the curve. So I kind of have almost modern technology. And it was a wonderful, easy road trip. Every single time I was like, oh, shit, Aaron Mankey, stop. And Aaron Mankey would stop telling me about a spooky, scary skeleton. And then I'd be all like, hey, Google lady, tell me where a subway is. And she's all like, I've got three subways that are en route. Which one do you want? 20 minutes from now? 40 minutes from now? To a I'm like, subway lady, that's amazing. Let's choose the 40 minute one. I was so happy. And she's speaking to me over my computer speakers. I'm like, so I was like, hey, phone lady, put the music back on. She's all like, you were listening to a podcast. Do you want music? I'm like, oh, the future is dope. So at one point, I'm just going to admit, I'm on this Texas highway. The speed limit is 75, and it's a one-laner, by which I mean traffic is constantly whizzing past you over just a painted line on the other side. It's the least thing that I enjoy, and I absolutely typically make routes to avoid it, but this was already a long drive. And I decided to just go down the quickest route, okay? So I went down the quickest route on this highway with opposite traffic. And for the first time in my life, every truck that passed by, I didn't squeeze the steering wheel. I didn't move so over. I was almost touching the ridges on the side of the road. I was pretty much anxiety free. And it was really great. I felt really fantastic about it. It was so fucking nice. But here's the downside before we check in at the Airbnb. I told you this is a long fucking story. Here's the downside, though. I got so comfortable checking my phone. This is a 75-mile-per-hour speed limit highway. I got 
so comfortable checking my phone that on this 75 mile per hour highway, I checked my fucking phone. I realized I was like in my car, like I had the realization and it hit me and it hit me. 75 miles. Yes, it's about 100 kilometers per mile per hour. Very fast. Uh, and I realized I'm in my car. I'm on this highway. The speed limit is 75 and you're looking at your phone. You've been looking at your phone. You're looking at your phone. I mean, granted, the car was at a complete stop because a train was passing, so everybody was stopped. But I mean, I did look at a phone on the highway where the speed limit was 75. That's a true story. That is true. That did happen. All right. So, okay. Just a little levity. <laughs> the other joke I was going to make is that they caught me the speed ticket. Here's the, I, this is an alternate joke, but I threw it out because it was too silly. Because the ticket is for 10 over. I was going 17 to 60. So the joke was, instead of saying I was going 17 to 60, I, I was going to say instead, yeah, they caught me going 10 over. They caught me going 10 and a zero. Hey, if you don't want fucking people to drive through your fucking classrooms, why are you leaving the doors open, asshole? It says all terrain. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay. All right, maybe I should have used that one instead. 10, o 10 over, and a all right, they got me going 10 over, 10 to zero. Oh, I have to work on it then. I couldn't come up with a way to learn. All right, so I arrive at my Airbnb and I've been to a lot of shitty Airbnbs and I actually spent a good amount of money for this Airbnb, but it was in Austin. And so it was the shittiest Airbnb I've ever been in. Birthday, birthday, it's my birthday. It's 103 degrees outside when I arrive. And because of the speeding ticket and the train that I got stuck behind a giant cargo train that was there for about 25, 30 minutes passing. So I am 13 and a half approximately hours of driving in. I arrive in local time, rush hour, Austin asshole traffic, where Everybody is as big of an asshole as New York City, but they've got a coexistent Beto sticker on the back of their fucking car. All right? Everyone's an asshole like New York City, but then they all pretend that they're hippies and they flip you off. It's real fucking weird. So it's fucking rush hour in Austin, and I'm just trying to get to my Airbnb. The Airbnb, again, advertises itself as a solo place with its own private patio. And I am paying 130 fucking bucks a night for this. It's its own private place. It's advertised with a patio. It's got lights on it. It looks pretty nice in the pictures. I arrive at local Austin time. It's 103 degrees out. And the Airbnb listing is a total fucking farce. I have room number 16. And it's its own room with its own entrance and exit. But it's like an old carriage house where all of the carriage house doors have been converted to their own doors. So I have plenty of privacy, and I have my own privacy bathroom, but I don't have a patio that I can meet this chick on, which is what we talked about, because I showed her the Airbnb to make sure it was a good location in Austin, yada, yada. Like, we talked about, like, I really want to do this trip fucking right, okay? But it's also 103, and I haven't stopped since uh, the cop in the train, right? And I've been driving all day. So I open up the fridge, and there's literally no fucking water in the fucking Airbnb. So I make myself some warm tap water and I put it in the freezer because there's two glasses in there. And I text, I'm ready to have a real good time. 
and we agree on the time that she's going to come over. I jump into the shower. I take a cold shower. I shave my fucking balls with fresh razors and fresh gel that I just bought. I already shaved them. You think I didn't shave them before I jumped in the car to head to Texas? You think I went to Texas with hairy fucking balls? Never. This was the aftershave. This was the courtesy shave. This was the putting on air shave, okay? This was the second time in a 30-hour period I was shaving my balls with razor and gel that I bought explicitly for ball shaving. And I'm getting in a slowly and slowly better move because my cock is huge these days and I love my body. Like, there's parts of my body I don't love, but my cock is huge and thick, and it was all like, da 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 I was like, yes! Thank you, Mr. Penis! He gave me a little hat tip. So I'm getting ready. It's time for birthday sex. The hour approaches. We set the time. She says she's coming over. She says she texts me. She says she's on her way. She says she's going to be there. The hour of her arrival passes. It's now five minutes past. Another text from her. I'm outside. And nothing else is stated. I say, okay. Would you like to meet on the patio? Or would you like to come up? Because we plan to meet on the patio. But the patio is not private. And she's a little bit shy. And she says, I'd like to come up directly to your room, please. But I'm very nervous. And I don't know what to do. And so I text her that we're going to go real slow. We're going to go real easy. Everything's going to work out fine. Let's do this. She says, okay. Five minutes later, I get another text from her. And she says, can I just close my eyes when I meet you? Can I just keep them closed for a while when I meet you? And this is the first time that I felt in my body an uh-oh. This is the first, up until now, everything's been okay, maybe stressful, maybe up or down, maybe she's shy. Maybe so. This is the first time in my body that I feel the uh-oh. <laughs> that's, that's definitely not normal. <laughs> but... What else am I going to do? Driven over 13 hours. I've spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars I don't really have. I've shaved my balls twice. It's hot. I'm drinking cool. It's, it's either this or an evening of drinking cool tap water in an Airbnb with no screens in it. So I'll be on my phone at a table sipping on tap water. So I say, yeah. Yeah, you can close your eyes when you meet me. <laughs> what the fuck? She knocks on the door. And like she's playing peekaboo, her hands are entirely covered over her eyes. Like peekaboo. And as soon as I see this, I go, oh no, for the second time, this isn't right. So, I offer to take her hand, whichever one she's willing to take down from her face. Can you guys hear me? Oh, no, it says I disconnected. Oh, are you fucking kidding me? 
All right, give me one second here, guys, on the recording. I, I just got disconnected from my app. Give me one second here. Uh, this is for the recording that I'm saying this. I'm sorry. I had to resume the recording, uh, and I'm now... Uh, oh, my God. Give me one second here. I now have to find where I was in my save file. Uh, okay. All right. Back on track. Okay. All right. We're not going to let a little... Fucking, I knew something was going to go wrong today. I just felt it. We're not even going to let it slow us down. Fuck that shit. It's a birthday show. She looks like Piper from Orange is the New Blood. I'm in Austin. I'm in the room. I'm past this point. I'm past this point. I'm past this point. Okay. She knocks on the fucking door. She has her eyes over her face like peekaboo style. And so I ask her if I can take her hand... If I can take one of her hands, whichever one she's willing to lower from her fucking face, to guide her to a table, to a chair, so we can sit at the table, so we can drink lukewarm tap water out of uh, shitty, certainly not sterilized properly, glass goblets. We're going to get mono, kids. <clears throat> so I coax her to put both of her hands on the table, and at one point... I catch her looking through one of her hands. She brings her hand back up to her face. And I catch her looking at me through her fingers. Yes? And I say, I see you looking at me. And she says, in a very different way than she said anything else to this point, No, you don't. And it's not playful. And it's not funny. And it's not cute. And it's the second time in my body I go, ooh, uh-oh. But it's been a long, 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 long journey. And I'm not willing to give up that easy. The last thing I want to say about her, I want to describe her, is when I talked about this, I did talk about explicitly, this is my birthday trip, this is for me, I want you to treat me. Since I'm paying for the Airbnb room 100%, uh, she offered to pay for all of the food, she wants to take me out to sushi, she wants to take me out for wings, she wants to take me out for food that I really fucking enjoy. Right? But I say I want to keep it fucking casual. Nothing fits anymore. I've been working out. None of my good clothes fit. None of my bad clothes fit. I'm going to be wearing gym clothes and shit. Uh, I, I mean, when I told her that, I didn't even know I'd be taking because I went to the laundromat like three nights before I left. And I just kind of threw a million things in there. Uh, and I just, my body is, I love my body right now. I do. I hope you can hear it and I hope you can feel it. I love touching myself and feeling myself. I love my thighs, and I love my ass, and I love my chest, and I love how dense and thick and muscular parts of me are. But I'm also huge. I'm huge, and nothing fits quite right, and I don't want to spend money on tailors, and I'm very shy, and I'm a night owl. So, there, so nothing fits, okay? You hear me? I want to have sushi, but I ask for casual sushi. And there's got to be casual sweatpants-wearing sushi in fucking Austin. That is not the place that she fucking booked. And she is easily wearing an $80 blouse and a $40 skirt. Easily. Easily. Bright, vibrant red skirt. Black, netted, uh, multi-layered, uh, multi uh, structured blouse top with see-through and mesh. 80 maybe 100 maybe $120 fucking top. Nice fucking top. 
And so after the peekaboo thing, I got to make sure because my body's telling me, oh, no, uh-oh. Whereas nothing's told me, oh, no, or uh-oh in the previous months. And so I, I just say, hey, man, you're dressed really nice. And she says, thank you. And I say, but I, I'm just super casual. And I thought we were going to be casual. And she immediately tells me, I am. This is I am. This is just how I normally dress. This is how I normally dress. This is very casual for me. I just like dressing like this. This is very casual for me. I'm very casual right now. The place that we're going is very casual too. Feels a little rehearsed. And it doesn't feel 100% authentic. Especially since what she does for a living... I feel a little feel a little bit weird putting this out there, but you need to know that this is one of the reasons why I definitely wanted to fuck her and eat her pussy. I thought of this as a plus. If she works with troubled teens who are in bad parental situations that they can't escape. She ain't fucking wearing $120 top stock and the fucking 14-year-old girls cutting themselves. I don't buy it. No, sir. Uh-uh. This is pure lying, and this is pure lying about a lie just because you don't like what the person... All I said was I thought we were keeping it more casual, legitimately. And I'm not angry, and I'm not upset, I know, because I don't lose my shit in this story. Spoiler alert. You think I'm going to lose my shit in this story? I don't blame you. Spoiler alert. I'm not gonna. I keep it cool, babies. But once again, I have determined... That I have been through a lot. And so I'm going to eat my fucking birthday pussy. Okay? That's what's going to happen. She is pretty. She is just shy. She is just freaking out. And so I say that I'm not really all that interested in going out to sushi. But once she gets more comfortable, there is something else that I would like to eat. And I say this as a test to make sure that she's not going to collapse into herself at this point, and she doesn't. She says, you must be hungry, and this starts to feel very normal and very good. No, not really. What did you eat today? You know, I actually always eat the same thing when I'm traveling. Really, what do you eat? Well, I eat something that I call the breakfast of champions. If I can, I go inside of a quick shop, I buy provisions like nuts and pretzels or things that'll keep just in case there's a car accident and some bottled water. Smart. Thank you. Yes, I've traveled a lot and I've been through a lot of lonely roads. So anyways, while I'm in there, I'll often get a 20-ounce cherry Coke. Then I'll go to McDonald's. I'll get a sausage biscuit breakfast with some extra hash brown. And I'll drink the cherry Coke. And I'll eat the McDonald's. I call it the breakfast of champions. Why do you call it that? Well, actually, when I was young, I knew a martial artist. And he was actually very, very influential on me. He gave me a lot of my rules about diet and and strength and discipline. Uh, For instance, my rule about always having to drink 20 ounces of water a day before I consume any calories, that comes from him. And when I started to eat a whole cup of rice every day before I would allow myself to eat anything else, that was because of him and his rules. However, even though he was a very talented martial artist, he did allow himself on tournament and competition days to simply show up at a place with a giant thing, a big gulp from Allsup's, 
two honey buns from Little Debbie's, and a little Swiss roll, approximately 1,400 calories of sugar. And he called it the Breakfast of Champions. And I thought that was really cute and really funny, and so I kind of do the same, even though I've taken a very different path in life. Oh, you're so charming! Yes, I am. Aren't I so charming? And you are so beautiful, and I'm so glad that you're starting to relax. Oh, that was very smooth. Yes, it was. And if you think that's smooth... Wait until I show you everything I've got. Parentheses, this part's in my head. I'm talking about my balls, lady. Baby smooth. So, she puts her hands down. She's making eye contact. She's responding. She's smiling. Things are going pretty okay. I ask her if we can hold hands across the table. She agrees. She's lightly touching and fingering and squeezing my hand across the table. And after a little while of this, I ask her if I could get her to sit on my lap. And if I could dominate her a little bit. If she would be comfortable. Maybe we can get rid of her nerves by her just doing what I say. You do what the birthday boy says, and you can shut that anxiety right off. What do you say? She comes and she sits on my lap. And she pushes her head all the way against my lap. She brings her legs up so that she can fully rock herself and push her head against my chest. And she says, your chest is so solid. And she puts her hand on it. She feels up and down it. And she tells me how sexy it feels and how hard. And my cock is starting to really stir for the first time all day. And my mind is starting to swirl. She smells real good. She's got a light perfume on, not too heavy. Little hint of floral and vanilla, real classy line. Hair's right on her mind. Back and forth. I ask her if she's ready. She says yes. And then I do one of my moves. Like I said, I do a hookup for me, for my experience, to get something from someone that I normally wouldn't get. Yes? So I do one of my moves, which is from a seated position with a not-life woman, no body shaming. I liked her. I was very attracted to her. No body shaming, but not the lithest, not a, not, a, not a ballerina body type. From her sitting on me and me in a sitting position, I rise with her in my arms, and I threshold carry her two steps easily, easily. No grunt, no stress, piece of cake. This is where daddy shines. And she screams the most elated scream. The scream that I live for when a woman is falling and afraid, but at the same time 100% certain no actual harm is going to come to her. Oh, I live for that scream. I love it. And she made it. I stopped after two steps. And again, this is one of my acts. If you're ever going to fuck me, now you know this is one of my moves. Now you can't ask for this. You can ask to be carried. Well, I have to carry you, but I'm not going to do the whole fucking act. 
Okay, you're getting a little peek behind the curtain. I do two steps, and she says what every woman says, even the ballerina, even the smallest and slightest of you, every single woman I've done this move to, every last one, every last one, every last one has done the same thing after the scream. Oh, I'm too heavy. All of you. All of you! You're literally being carried! It's literally happening! It's not physically possible what you're saying, and yet, all of you... <laughs> oh no, I'm too heavy! And so I have... a move. Since you all do this reaction to some degree, I have a move. Where I go, oh my god, you're right. And I take two steps backwards and sit down effortlessly, always maintaining eye contact. And then I say, Oh, I guess you're not really that heavy for me, after all. And then I pick him up again and move him to the fucking bed. It's on now, bitches. It's birthday pussy time. Right, it's a fucking move. I had to perfect it. You don't get that way unless you've had 25 one-night stands with unimpressionable Eastern European women. <sighs> what are you going to show me that I haven't seen before from Vladimir Putin? <sighs> Seven inches. Okay, so. Daw. <laughs> ah, an orgasm. And a coupon book. These are all things that Jack can show you that Vladimir Putin probably didn't. <laughs> Do you know what a Groupon is? Here, let me show you. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Okay. <laughs> so we get to the bed. I throw her onto the bed. Because I can. And we kiss a bit. And we touch. It's very slow and it's very easy. We kiss, we touch, we're not undressing, we're kissing, we're touching. It's slow, it's easy, it's very nice. I'm having a wonderful time. And I ask her explicitly, are you ready for me to eat you out? And she says, I'm very nervous. I've had, I've had six partners before. She didn't say I had six partners before in that moment. I asked her previously. I've had partners before, but they never really had six partners before, but none of them really went down there. None of them really took their time. None of them really went there. And I have to say, this is so normal. There's a lot of excuses. There's a lot of expectation setting before I give head to somebody for the first time, to a woman for the first time. There's a lot. There's a lot of this. So this is very normal. And I'm trying to assuage her as gently as possible, but I really do want to eat this pussy. I want to eat her pussy. So we go slow. I stand up, I move off the bed, I move to the opposite side of the bed where she's closer to the edge, I take the comforter off, I fold it into sixteenths, I throw it on the wooden floor. Shitty fucking Airbnb, that one fucking, that fucking carpet, that one fucking thing. And I kneel down on it. And as I lower myself, I say, take off your fucking panties. Now, I don't mean to be too presumptuous, but when a woman invites you to have sex or back to her place or whatever, the panty choice, to me, 
gives a lot more information than anything else. More information than the makeup, than the hair, than the dress. What does pant... If a woman's explicitly said, come back to mine, and then I see her panties, those panties are omissive. Everything else, the make... The eyeshadow? I don't particularly think her eyeshadow was for me. I don't particularly think she was thinking, if I can just get this a little bit more smoky, then the dick will come. I don't think so. I really don't. So there's a lot of things that she was doing that night for her, but the panties were for me. Or at least were meant to convey something to me. That's my read. If I'm wrong, you guys need to tell me, because I have been working under this assumption for many decades now. <laughs> Uh-oh! <laughs> so I asked her to take her fucking panties off. And right before she does... She says something that I will never forget until the day I fucking die. She says, of all the crazy things I've heard exit a woman's mouth before I was about to put my mouth on her pussy because she was ashamed or afraid or insecure of all the fucking crazy ass shit I've ever heard. This is some Chucky the Child Killer. This is some Bozo the Clown inhabiting a person's body. Crazy, psycho, crazy fucking bullshit. She just looks me right in the eyes as she hooks her thumbs and fingers through the thong side of her panties. It's not a thong, but you know what I mean, like the thong portion of her panties. And she says, and I quote verbatim, I just want you to know that I douched really well down there. And I say... Excuse me? <laughs> I say, what? My whole body says, oh no, oh no, oh no. And in the back of my head, I'm not really listening to what she's saying. She says her mouth moves and sound comes out. I don't really hear what she's saying. Because the back of my mind, I'm hearing my own thoughts. And all I can hear is, what are we about to get into? Figuratively and literally, if you know what I'm saying. She unhooks her panties and she removes them. As she removes her panties, she says, I just did a really good job. I want you to know, like, I'm nervous. I just did a really good job, okay? And the panties come off. As soon as her panties are off and hit the floor, she zips her legs shut again. And this is not abnormal. And gals, before I go any further on this one, I want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. I'm not here to hurt anybody. I'm not here to make anyone uncomfortable. However, I am the hero of my own story. And I do have to act like it. I have to tell stories like that. And when something happens, like I'm about to relate to you, I have to tell that story as the hero. And that's going to make somebody else the antagonist. That's just how it works. This person is not a bad person. And I am not body shaming this person. And if this story took place in any other situation than being invited down for my birthday to eat pussy, I would never, ever, ever tell this fucking story. But that is the tee up for this. So if 
You think that me talking about a fan's body in a not sexy way or talking about a not fun experience that I had with a fan trying to have sex with them, if you think that's disempowering or if you think that's a breach or if you think I'm shaming them, I ask you simply to skip this story. I have given my perspective on why I think I get to tell this story in all its graphic detail from here going forward. If you don't agree, don't bother to educate me. I'm educated enough, and I can handle it from here. If you really think less of me, you think less of me. But I want to tell this fucking story, so here we fucking go. I open her legs. I put my hands on her thighs and I open her legs. This is not unusual. A lot of women are like, eat my fucking pussy. And you're like, okay. And then you like lean down and they go, ah! and you're a little tense. That happens. I just want to make clear, I'm not forcing her legs open. I'm just opening her legs with my hands. And they do open willingly after a little bit of a catch. And this is the tomb of wonder. I mean, I've been teeing this fucking story, this pussy up this whole time. I've been teeing this fucking pussy up, so I know you're so fucking curious about what daddy opened up. And so I want you to imagine the Legend of Zelda treasure chest music. Like it's building up as I'm opening her thighs. Da 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 da. A beerif from Ben Hur. And I open her legs. I'm looking down in between them, and I see, without a doubt, the most unkempt pussy hair. Now, before I describe it, I want to say again, we had a video date. We had a video date, and I made her show me her fucking pussy, and it was hairless, and she shaved it, and we talked about it, and I flirted with her, and I said stuff like, ooh, you shaved your pussy for me, didn't you, little girl? She's like, stop, I'm so embarrassed! That all happened. But the pussy I had for me a scant month after that event had not only grown out all of its hair, which would be fine. Guys, if this was just a month's worth of pussy fucking hair, do you understand how okay with that I would be? I don't mind pussy hair at all. Don't think I'm shaming fucking pussy hair. I will eat the shit out of a hairy muff. No, here's what I saw. I saw approximately one month's worth of growth in some portion of the pubis. However, other parts had been trimmed and other parts had been swathed. And the only way that I can come up with how it looked is as if a tiny little Lego man on a tiny little jungle expedition had a great big little Lego machete, and he zigzagged his way up and down her mons, cutting at various heights as he went. Didn't keep it consistent. Sometimes he would swing from shoulder height, sometimes knee, and sometimes he'd reach above his head just for fucking giggles, I guess. And I don't know what my face said when I saw the three to four different tiers and layers of pussy hair of different degrees of thickness, and because of this, basically different colors, right? The more hair or less hair you have, the different shade it looks. So it looks like it's even kind of different colors. It kind of looks like the hair on the doll from Angelica and Rugrats, but not blonde.
So I don't know what my face said in response to this. I don't. But I know that it didn't say, it didn't say, woo. <laughs> because she started freaking out. She started freaking out when she saw my face looking at her fucking pussy hair. And I have to pull it back real quick. And I have to be like, it's okay. It's okay. You're okay. We're okay. It's okay. We're okay. It's all right. But I do have to wonder if the pussy looks like that, what the fuck is it going to taste like? It is a hundred degrees outside. <laughs> it is a hundred fucking degrees outside. This woman just screamed at me that she douched herself really well after screaming at me. I'm not looking at you when she was looking at me. And she's freaking out, and I have to calm her down. And I just want to remind me, remind you all, of what I have been through to this point. It's my birthday, and I drove through fucking West Worthless, Texas. I got a speeding ticket, my first speeding ticket in a fucking decade. I dealt with her fucking crazy. I dealt with Hicks. I dealt with a remote gas station adjacent subway. It is literally over 100 degrees outside at the time that this is happening. This pussy is for sure not going to be a top fucking pussy. No matter what. There's no question in my mind. This is not going to be the most fun encounter I've had. So what do I do? What do I do? After this woman has brought me here, invited me and done this, what do I do? In my rage, in my PTSD... I dropped to my fucking knees and I started eating fucking pussy. You're goddamn fucking right. I do. And to her credit, her pussy tasted just fucking fine. It was. It was. It was just the exterior that was a problem. She did douche the shit out of it and she washed the douche out and it tasted wonderful and it was great and she shouldn't have been concerned and it was fine and I actually start getting into it and I, I'm the gray fucking knight. I've come for this pussy. Now this pussy shall come for me. So I start licking the pussy. And I start speeding up. And I'm enjoying myself because I like licking pussy. And we get a minute into it and she starts screaming, No! No, 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 no! So I stop. And I ask her what's happening. And she said, I'm sorry, it was just really, I just, I'm sorry. And I ask her if I can continue, if she's comfortable with that, because this is actually not that unusual. And she says, yes. And as I lean my lips back down to re-engage her pussy, she says, you're not going to fucking make me come. I stop pull back, I look her in the eyes, and I say, it doesn't have to be about that, does it? It doesn't have to be about that, does it? And I'm legitimately fucking hurt. I'm hurt now. Had a week to process it. I'm still fucking hurt. I appreciate that this person must have their own issues, but that fucking hurt me. That 
fucking hurt. Doesn't matter if I make you come or not. Saying that is a mean thing after everything I went through for you. And it hurt. So I say it doesn't have to be about that, does it? And she says no. And I say this is what I wanted to do. And we talked about this. Is it okay? And she says yes. So I start licking her fucking pussy again. Again, about a minute in, I start speeding up. And she starts going, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to come. I pull back. And she just says, I'm sorry, 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 I'm sorry. She covers her face in her eyes. And it's very weird. And I'm very upset. And I'm very tired. And I feel rejected. And it stings. So I ask her, what's the matter? And that's when she said the thing that broke me psychologically. That's when she responded. Her response to what the matter wounded me on a psychological level. It wounded my psyche. She looked me dead in the fucking eyes. And I wish she had turned into a spider. I do. I wish she had turned into a demon. That would have hurt me less. But she looks me right in the fucking eyes and she says, and I quote, I didn't expect you to do that. I, I feel fucking insane even talking about this now. Even processing it, even having written it all out, even telling the story, I feel insane. At that moment, I'm on my knees. I literally jump up and back in a way that I've never done so in my life. I fling myself into a corner. There's a chair. I sit down in it. My eyes are wide. My body is tense. And I'm legitimately wondering if I'm about to have to engage in combat on some level. And every point of my resource for the rest of this story is now put into don't have a PTSD episode alone in a room with a crazy person. Don't do it. That's where you're at. And if you do that, it's going to be horrible. She's crazy, and I can be crazy too if I get triggered. And this is a huge fucking trigger. So don't let it fucking happen. That's the game now. Happy fucking birthday. And so for the rest of that evening, and it did take a while, I had to convince her to leave my fucking room. And every time I said, I need you to leave, she would scream, no! To the point where I was wondering if all the neighbors in the carriage house... We're going to think I was a rapist. We're going to think I was an attacker. We're going to think, we're going to think, we're going to think. PTSD, going wild, thinking at 100 miles per hour. All of them bad, scary, angry thoughts. Remember your breathing. Remember what you've been taught. Remember, you don't want to get in a bad situation. If the police come, it's going to get worse. If the police come, it's going to get worse. If she escalates, it's going to get worse. If the police come, it's going to get worse. If somebody knocks, it's going to get worse. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. But there's this episode of Samurai Jack where the only thing that can beat Samurai Jack is Samurai Jack. 
And the only way Samurai Jack could possibly beat Samurai Jack is if Samurai Jack let the anger in him win. And as I sit there on this chair, I remember this moment where Samurai Jack was about to spiral out of control. But he pulled himself back. Last second. And that's all that mattered. Every mistake he made that full fucking episode doesn't matter. As long as you end it strong. As long as you do the right thing when and where you can. And I take a five-second breath in. I hold it for two seconds, and I exhale for seven. She's staring at me with wide eyes and tears in them. And I ask her if it would be okay to meet up for breakfast tomorrow, since it's been a long day. We could both get some sleep. We'll try again. But her response to that was not very cool. In fact, her response to that was basically the exact same response as everybody had a response to Michael Jackson dangling his baby off a balcony. Like, she basically just looked at me like I picked the baby up and went outside off the balcony. I was all like, Wee! Don't drop the baby! Don't drop the baby! Who would die if I dropped him? Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Who would go splat? Which baby would go splat? Who would go splat? That's how she reacted. What? I'm just trying to, hey, I'm just trying to lighten the mood a little bit. It's a comedy show. Come on. It's a dead baby. It's a comedy show. Laugh a little. Jesus Christ. My trauma is supposed to be your enjoyment. That's what you pay me for. So, I suggested again more firmly, and she immediately starts pushing to stay the night, to let me eat her again. She's going to blow me. She's going to get naked. It's all going to be better. It's all going to be so good. But she knows, and the way that she's talking, you know that she knows that this is done. This is done, and she ended it. And she is crazy. Maybe she's not a crazy person in general. I don't know if she's a crazy person in general. My guess is she's not a crazy person in general. But she is not lucid. She is not cogent. You can get the answer, one plus one is two, three, four, and five out of her by asking the question over and over again. She's not with us. And so, because she's as crazy as I can... Yes, you can pay to get me hugs. It's called a massage. Please do tip. Massage is lots of little hugs given by a wonderful Swedish or Asian lady. I'll enjoy all of the hugs very much. All right, so... uh, (laughs) We're going to get through the story, I promise. We're not even on to this fucking show yet. I told you, it's going to be a real long one. So, she's crazy, and I've tried to be normal, and so I'm going to have to be crazy. But I'm not allowing myself to be angry crazy, because that's not going to be good, right? Okay? So, I just say, I've lost everything, I don't have any mentor, there's no Samurai Jack for getting a crazy woman out of your room. Or at least I didn't see it. I admit, I haven't seen every episode of Samurai Jack. That might be an episode. Jack might have hooked up. Phil Lamar might have gotten some pussy in one episode, and then she got a little too attached. That might be out there. Uh, you have to go. I have to fight a coup and the great evil in order to travel back to time. But I love your dick, Samurai Jack! <laughs> Maybe that happened. Like I said, I didn't watch them all. So there's no mentorship for this one. So I just try something. 
I just try something. My therapist, both this one and the last one, said you're pretty smart and you're pretty good with people. So if ever you're with a person and you don't know what to do, just try whatever comes to your head. And so that's what I do. And I just say, thank you. Swear to fuck. Swear to fuck. I just go, thank you. And she goes, you're welcome. And because that worked, I go, thank you for the card. Because she got me a little card, a little birthday card. And she goes, oh, you're so welcome. And I say, thanks for inviting me. And she goes, you're welcome. It's been nice having you. Sort of like she does. And I go, and thanks for understanding that I have to be alone tonight after a long day. And she goes, oh, you're very welcome. I go, thank you again for leaving. And she goes, uh-huh. And I have to thank her a number of times, and then I get silent. And then she leaves the room. I have now moved the quickest I've ever moved twice in my life in one night, this time to get to the door to fucking bolt it. <laughs> I have moved real quick tonight twice, babies. Oh, I didn't know I had it in me. Oh. So after she leaves, I physically shut down. I have a little bit of a cry. It's a hot, I mean, the room's got AC, but it's still kind of hot in it compared to uh, at least my little Heidi stoner bubble here. Uh, I have tap water to drink. Uh, I text somebody, the Grey Knight has spent $600 and his birthday to try and get laid and failed. And I wonder if it's ever going to happen for me. Or something like that. It's very, it's very maudlin. I didn't look up what I said, but it was very maudlin. I was in a very maudlin mood. And I was allowed, fucking frankly. We're on like hour 19 of this day. It's been a shitty one. I pass out super quick. Super quick. I pass out hard. I wake up like four and a half hours later. I don't even shave. I didn't unpack or anything, really. Uh, besides my ball, I just like, oh, you got to remember your ball stuff in the shower. When I was getting ready to leave the room. Remember your phone charger and your ball stuff. Because that's all you unpacked. <laughs> so I get my ball equipment. My ball accoutrement on my phone charger. And I pack everything together. It's like 2 a.m. I leave. I'm a little worried that she's outside on the way to the car. And I have the room through the weekend. Right? I spent a lot of money on this fucking trip. But I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in Austin. I don't like this room. It's a shit. If the room had a big screen TV and a nicer bed, I might have stayed. Who knows? There was a there was an oyster bar right down the street, and I thought about. It. I was like, I'll just go to the oyster bar, get fucking drunk as shit, get a bunch of oysters, come back, watch something on uh, on their Netflix or Hulu or whatever. They didn't have a screen. There's no TV. So I was like, I'm getting out of fucking Texas. Fuck this fucking place. Fuck it. I'm out. And no, she was not outside. Thank Christ. The car was still outside. I was happy to see the car. As soon as I saw the car, I was like, I can get out of here. Hooray. I get in. I get gas. I set a course for home. I'm driving alone on lonely stretches of West Texas Highway in the dark. And I am miserable. But I get to process things on the trip. And like I said earlier about this car, the music's coming over the speakers. It's playing over my Spotify on my phone. It's very nice. I look for music when I fill up at gas and I put on soft rock 
the soft rock album lasts for about five hours. And just as it's about to finish, the sun's about to come up behind me. Five great hours of just easy soft rock. I'm not a soft rock listener. Great driving music. It's hard to get pissed off about a hick Texan driving in front of you when you're listening to Paved Paradise and Put Up a Parking Lot. That's a great song to listen to while you're driving. It is. Finally, there's a reason to listen to Why Do Birds Suddenly Appear. It's because you're driving and you're trying not to rage. It's fantastic. That's what it's made for. I finally found it out. So that plays out. I listen to every soft rock song all the way through, all five hours. And so I pull in to get gas, to fuel up and all that, and to pick something that's going to take me home. Yeah? It's going to take me home all the way to my front door. So I'm scrolling through my Spotify. If you've never used Spotify on your phone, uh, especially on your phone, it's got lots of like, listen to this album or click on this button or do, you know, like a lot of suggestions. It's trying to be real easy. Click on this. We'll give you music, baby. Uh, love Spotify for that very reason. They don't fuck around. And so I'm looking through all the suggestions because they know that I'm on a road trip. Uh, they know I'm traveling because of my phone GPS and all that, right? Uh, there's all these road trip suggestions, all these albums for road trips and road trip music. And so I'm scrolling through uh, them, and I'm looking at them, and I see only one album that has no artwork. And I think this is very curious. All the other albums have artwork. And so I click on it, obviously, while I'm gassing up. What else am I going to be doing? So I click on it, and it's got some very unusual songs in it. And I see that the playlist has been made by Real Grey Knight. That's me. That's my name on Spotify. That's me. I'm Real Grey Knight. I don't remember making this. But as I look at the music, it becomes very clear to me as I scroll through this, oh, I must have made this. I must have gotten very high one night or very drunk or something. Because this is not only my music. This is... The primo shit. This is the shit that I don't show people unless I've been dating them a year. This is this is music that's important to me. And this is the good stuff. I must have gotten high as balls and spent hours and hours and hours on Spotify without remembering any of it. Just sitting there going, what song meant the most to me that month of that year? And not leaving it until I got an answer. Because it was the most meaningful music of some of the most tumultuous, most difficult parts of my life. All there, one playlist. Mostly upbeat, mostly encouraging songs. So I click shuffle. I finish gassing up. The Texas sun is starting to come up behind me. The music starts playing. And I listened to that playlist all the way through. I would tell you more songs on it, but like I said, it's deeply personal, these songs. Even if you look up my Spotify and you look up what I play, you're not going to find this music, which is why I'm comfortable saying it. This shit's hidden. And so I need to tell you about something which is a PTSD episode and what happens to me when I go through them. <clears throat> when I go through a PTSD episode, you stop becoming people. All of you. 
I become Will Smith in I Am Legend, Chuck Heston in The Omega Man. I become the last man alive. And everybody that looks like a person is a demon and a monster and a betrayer. And you're trying to lure me into an alley so you can stab me in the neck. Yes, even the fucking children, especially the fucking children. You think I don't see them? When I talked about cards earlier in Hearthstone and getting drunk in the prefrontal cortex and getting aggravated, that was a setup for this. When I go into a full PTSD episode, it is the most shameful thing of my life because I almost always hurt someone I love. Almost always. And I almost always hurt someone I love for trying to love me and help me. But I stop seeing a person. And I stop hearing words. And I stop thinking. And if you were to look at me, you wouldn't think this person's afraid. If you were to look at me, you wouldn't think this person's terrified right now. If you looked at me while I was having a PTSD episode, you would be terrified. You would be terrified because I would be in your face and my eyes would be wide and my mouth would be open as wide as it possibly could and I would be screaming at you and I would be calling you a worthless fucking piece of shit! How dare you! Fuck you! I fucking hate you! Because you're literally trying to kill me in my mind. And I can't stop thinking different. And even with all of the therapy and everything I've done, I can't jump off the train once I'm on it. You're evil and rotten and trying to destroy me, and I can't see it any other way until it stops. Once the trigger comes in, once the trigger hits, that's it. I am pure survival. I am everything that is good and right, and you are trying to destroy it all. And I will accost you and shame you and insult you and use any pressure point I can to make you stop talking. Everything you say is a lie, so I have to stop making you talk now. Now. And I'll do that through shame. And I'll do that through this voice. You think this voice is scary? It gets fucking scary, you fucking piece of shit. You disgusting fucking piece of shit. You fucking disgust me. You disgust everybody. Do you know how much everybody fucking hates you? Do you know what people say to me about you when you turn your back? Do you know how little anybody fucking respects you? I can't fucking believe you would even say this to me. You would even bring this to me. How fucking dare you? If everything I've done for you, everything I've given you, everything I am... And no matter how much somebody loves me, and no matter how much somebody says they understand, and no matter how much they get it, I've never freaked out on somebody and had them look at me the same way again. Even if they've stayed, even if they love me. Even if I've never hurt them, even if it's been a decade. You see that once, you can never unsee it. If you don't know me well, and I had one of those freakouts on you, that's who I am to you, and I'll never be able to convince you otherwise, and I know that. And I do. And this is a tremendous component of why I've chosen not to see anybody and not to be with anybody for most of my life. This is why I've chosen to work alone and outside of an office where I can be triggered. 
This is why I've chosen to not pursue wealth and fame, at least not the traditional ways, because of the kind of people that I'd have to work around to do it and what effect they would have on me. Because however bad that would make you feel if you saw me do that, talk to you that way, hurt you like that, and it would, like I said, inexorably, indelibly, you would be changed by it. Your opinion of me would forever be altered. However bad it is for you, it hurts a lot worse for me. And typically speaking, after I have an episode, after I calm down, which does happen later that day, obviously you can't stay ramped up like that for too long. I'm usually out of it within the hour. After PTSD episodes, I have quit jobs and broken up with people and moved states. And yes, I've even left countries. I got on a train once. I was so ashamed. And I didn't look back. All true. And that's what I was afraid was going to happen in that fucking hotel room, that Airbnb with that woman. With her having her own freak out. And then who knows where she would have spiraled from there. The other thing is, this is my first road trip. This is my first road trip. This is my first time driving since I got in a car totaling accident in October of last year. The car totaling accident was really bad in two ways. One, it reset my, my PTSD. I didn't leave the house for three weeks. I just couldn't. And the other way is it really hurt financially. I lost thousands and thousands of dollars, uh, essentially. And that's why I haven't been able to move out of here. So it compounded all the mental health issues that I had living in this place. Yeah. <clears throat> so it was really bad. And this road trip was my first time out, really, of the house since October of 2018. Really. And this is the event that I had. This is the trip that I had. But I didn't have the PTSD free event. And so I'm listening to this music. The sun's up. The nice Google lady says, welcome to New Mexico. I'm out of enemy territory. I'm listening to my playlist. I get to my front door. I unlock it. Everything's fine. For the first time in my life, for the first time in my entire life, I'm opening my front door and I'm not envisioning everything destroyed and vandalized and robbed. First time in my life. <clears throat> and I get my cat, settle my cat down, get on the carpet, pet my cat. I haven't had any weed or booze in two days. I don't do any intoxicant when I'm driving, period. So I haven't had any weed or booze in two days at this point in the story. And so I get a little high, get my vape pen out, hit my vape pen, play with my cat. And I listen to the musical playlist until it runs out. I mean, I made this. I don't even know how long it is. But I've been listening to it for seven, eight hours at this point. And I, and I sit on the carpet with the cat, getting high, getting some cold water. There's cold water in my fridge. Airbnb. <sighs> and I listen to the rest of the music until it's over. 
reminding myself how far I've come as the Grey Knight, as Jack, as a man, as a person, as an entity, reforging myself piece by piece, strut by strut, rivet by rivet, making the armor stronger. But even as I hear this, feel it, there is a longing in me, a loneliness and a lonesomeness in me. And as I get up in the silence to touch my Spotify on my desktop, to, to use the app there, it's only then that I see the name of this amazing, perfectly timed playlist that I wrote for myself. I didn't add artwork, so I didn't look for a name. But I see the name. I see what I named this playlist I wrote for me that I didn't remember. And it is simply titled, On Your Own. And I look at that and I say, yeah, and broken, and broke, and too late in life, and figuring things out that I should have gotten a lot earlier. And I was absolutely convinced the words came perfectly into my head. The Joseph Conrad quote perfectly formed as soon as I read it. We live as we dream alone. And if I had to place a bet right now, a week after this, I would say that is the most likely outcome. I'm going to die on my own bachelor, no kids, I'm not going to be with anybody. And that's really, really what I think. But you know what? I have gotten this far. And I am a lot less broken than I used to be. And I think I handled a very difficult situation about as well as anybody could be expected to. I know if somebody else told me this story, and they told me that they had PTSD, I would think that I was about to help to help bury a body. And I didn't even scream at her. And I didn't even yell at her. And I didn't even do any of that. I just got through it. I reminded myself at every point, I just got through it. I finished 25 hours of driving in a little under 40 hours in daytime. And I lay in bed with my vape pen for the first time ever. I've never smoked weed in bed. I've never smoked in bed. I've never done anything in bed before. The bed is sacred. The bed is sacred and for sleep. And you have such trouble getting to sleep. But I don't anymore, and I haven't for a long time. And the bed doesn't have to be sacred or for sleep anymore. So maybe sometimes on occasion, at least after a really long, really bad day, I can take my vape pen back, and I can lay in bed, and I can look at the ceiling, and I can ask myself as I drift off to sleep, cat curled against me like she is my sidearm. Well, what the hell am I going to get up to next anyway? Thank you for listening to my birthday story. I hope you found it interesting. <laughs> I know that I sure did, living it. And I hope that you enjoyed the experience. When you have something like that, I think it's best to know that you really went through it. So thank you for sharing it with me, because you are what make it real.
Otherwise, it's just a crazy story from a crazy individual, a crazy memory. But it wasn't. It happened. And I hope you fucking laugh, too. If you didn't laugh, you're a jerk. There was a lot of good humor in there, too. I worked really hard. I balanced it out. I don't want to hear no... I don't want to hear no... Daddy, I heard your birthday story. It was so sad. It was so sad. It was sad. No, it wasn't. I could have made that story a thousand times sadder. And you guys fucking know it. Here's what you feel. If you feel so sad, find a way. Find a way. You feel so sad. You feel so sad for daddy. Fucking pay me. Pay me. Get rid of this fucking speeding ticket. Get rid of the Airbnb shit fucking uh, day that I didn't even get to spend in it. Oh my god. I don't have this kind of money to spare. Normally, it wouldn't have been an issue at all, but it turns out sending Allie to America costs money. When I promised that I would send Allie to America, I thought it would cost jelly beans. I didn't think it was going to cost dollars. I thought their entire currency was based on snark and opals. Ugh. I mismade a mistake. Hey guys, do you have any quick quotes for me? Especially new girls, if you're new here and you can dry the tears out of your eyes, you can do quick quotes. If you put something for me to say in quotation marks, I will say it for you. It's quick quotes. It's one of my favorite parts. Let's move it right on in. We've got a full fucking show ahead of us. We are just fucking getting started, kids. We've got requests. We've got poetry. We've got smut. We've got phone sex. I don't even know who I'm having phone sex with. Probably somebody at this point. Who's shaving the shit out of their vagina. Guarantee you that much. Just to be clear, if you have uniform pussy hair, a bikini, full muff, daddy will eat you. Just to be clear, no body shame. I don't care. I don't care. You've got a pussy no matter what, don't you? I'm not there for the hair. I'm there for the pussy. I'll manage. <laughs> All I wanted to do was go to a woman who was going to treat me like a god, buy me some beers, buy me some food, give me some of her weed, pick her up, toss her onto a fucking bed like a caber, spread her ass cheeks open like the Klondike, and lick her until she screamed my true name, which has 17 syllables. That's all I wanted. When a woman says my full real name, it opens a portal to the dark realm and more of my kind to get through. So just let me make it happen, bitch! Jesus Christ! <laughs> it's a fair trade! <laughs> no quick quotes? No quick quotes? <laughs> you just gonna let me do this for the next two hours? I'm not even drunk. Okay, we've got some quick quotes. <clears throat> Eat my pussy. No, don't. Yes, do. No, don't. <clears throat> I like you collared, baby. I like you naked. I like you mine. 
you like that, don't you, you little slut, don't you? That's right, you're my good girl. Show Daddy why. Prove to Daddy why you're a good girl. You know, if you press the clit and the G-spot at the same time, the vagina takes a screenshot. You better be good for me, baby girl. It's my birthday after all. Don't I get to enjoy my present? Daddy's not done with you yet, baby girl. By the way, this is where everybody can say that I sound so fucking good right after quick quotes. You finish quick quotes and then you can all say it. You can all talk about how fucking good I sound. Thank you. <clears throat> what kind of noises would I like to make for you today? Oh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. What kind of noises would I like you to make today? Different intonation. <clears throat> You're so cute, baby girl. You're so cute when you're scared. I'm so proud of you, baby girl. Daddy just loves shy little girls. On your knees, little girl, Daddy wants you. I like it when you call me baby. Girl up next to me, little one. Daddy's here. Don't let anyone treat you like free salsa. You are cheese dip, baby. You are cheese dip. I see you're doing better these days. Keep it up. It will only get better for you. Tell me you'll always be by my side. Or on top of me. Or under. You did so good, baby girl. You were perfect for me. All right, guys, if you have done a quick quote before today, please stop putting them in now. Everybody who is new, especially if you've never been to a live show before, if you put it into quick quotes, if you put uh, what you want me to say into quotation marks, I will go ahead and read it for you verbatim, however you would like. We love new girls and girls who have never put something in before. Once again, we're finishing up quick quotes. If you have put in something today, please go ahead and refrain from putting any more in. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Jack, I love you. Oh, that wasn't a quick quote. You just love me. Okay. <clears throat> Who's a good pet? <gasps> You're so pretty with my cock in your mouth. You're such a good little girl. And I love those tits, man. <laughs> Feed me, Seymour classic. That is the show that I've seen live more than anything else. Little Shop of Horrors. Love Little Shop of Horrors. It's a fun live show. It's hard to fuck up. It's a fun show. It's hard to fuck that one up. I saw uh, an all-black version of it where the plant was a white guy, and you would think it was going to be, like, bad or, like, reverse racism or, like, they were going to get too cutesy. No, they played it straight, 
Everybody was, oh, sorry, the three chorus girls were white as well. Everybody else was black, though, and Seymour was a fairly white-sounding voice. And let me just say, that was, besides the little kids fucking it up while dressed up like 1940s gangsters, that was the best time I had at the show, I have to admit. They went wild with it. It was pretty great. <laughs> I saw little kids, like, do, like, a gangland version. They were all dressed up in, like, kind of semi-zoot suits, but they were little kids, and they kept fucking up their lines in the songs. Oh, I had such a great time that night. Watching children learn that they're not going to ever be performers. Is there anything more magical? <laughs> you don't have it, kid! And now we both know it! <laughs> Line up, babies. Daddy is ready for birthday kisses. <laughs> Okay. <clears throat> oh, no! Oh, no! Guys, everybody who sent Allie a request, you have to send her the request right now. I had all of your requests up, but then Discord fucked up and I had to restart it. I lost all of your links, and I just realized right now I'm going to buy some time with a Vogue. If you sent in a request, please send one in to Allie right, right fucking now. Not me. Allie, 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 Allie. Send them into her. She will go ahead, and she'll get them up. I'll pull them up. I'll bring them all right back up while I'm voguing. Shit! God damn it! I wish I had noticed that just a couple of minutes earlier. I'm not freaking out. Don't worry. I'm just trying to come up with something to keep the show moving. Because this show's already so long. Oh my god! I just, I'm trying to think of something. What can I, I don't have any. I told you all of my stories. I told you everything. I don't do anything anymore. <laughs> so I told you all of it. <laughs> I play cards. I get high, and sometimes I don't fuck fans. That's what I do, babies. It's who I am. There is a question, Jack. Are you going to let this uh, ruin your experiences with trying to fuck other fans? No. No, I am not. What a weird fluke. What a weird fluke. And I, I want to say, once again, I don't think she's a villain. Or, sorry, I don't think she's a bad person or an enemy. I just think she's the antagonist. You know what I'm saying? She's kind of like a Marvel movie villain. Like, she's technically a villain, but come the fuck on. Like, she's kind of a Marvel movie. Like, there's technically a villain there, but who gives a shit? Can you even remember who Iron Man fought in the first two movies? Do you even remember who Iron Man fought in any of his Iron Man movies? No. I do, because I love Jeff Daniels. Oh my god, people are throwing up the actual names. Holy shit. I forgot how nerdy some of you are. God damn it. Son of a bitch. That guy with the whips, that's a fantastic way to call the villain of the second movie. That's probably more description than went into his character design. That guy with the whips is literally more character than went into Mickey O'Rourke's character as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Uh. All right, guys. Thank you so much. You are such sweethearts. Give me one second here to open and sort these. And then we'll get on right with the show. I appreciate all of you so very much. Thank you very, 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 very much. I know you can be shy. Uh, and I know that I asked for them early. Kitty just came. Kitty, well, you saved me. You just woke up, so you're probably not going to talk. But can I interview you real quick, Kitty, while I'm sorting everything out? Meow. 
It would mean a lot if you would fucking talk. Ralph? <laughs> just fucking giving me the... Just dead eyes. Just dead fucking eyes. It would mean so much, Kitty. This cat that I love. I love you so much. Ralph? Yes. If you would just let me interview you a little... That would mean a lot. Can I interview you just a little on my birthday? My birthday show? Yes? Okay. So my first question is... How often do I beat you? Would you say? I know you don't have a strong sense of time. Is that feeding time? But how often would you say I beat the kitty? Once, once a week? Twice? I've obviously pummeled her into submission. <sighs> all right, all right, okay, okay. All right, I think I've got... I think I've got a lot of shit to read. All right, guys, if you requested something and I don't read it today, then I'm just going to have to be sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, we're just trying to... This is just such a crazy... Discord updated on the middle of me. My internet cut out when Discord was updating. Uh, this has just been one of them fucking shows. <laughs> so off we go. <clears throat> Shall I tell you then how it is? There came a cloven gleam like a tongue of darkened flame to burn in me. And so I seem to have you still the same in one world with me. In the flicker of a flower, in a worm that is blind yet strives, in the mouse that pauses to listen, glimmers our shadow as well as deprives them of their glisten. In each shaken morsel, our shadow trembles, as if rippled out from us, hand in hand. We are part and parcel in shadow. Nothing dissembles our darkened universe. You understand? For I have told you plainly how it is. Pentecostal by D. H. Lawrence <clears throat> Roads go ever, ever on, over rock and under tree, by caves where never sun has shone, by streams that never find the sea, over snow that winter sown, and through the merry flowers of June, over grass and over stone, and under mountains in the moon. Roads go ever, ever on, under cloud and under star, yet feet that wander have gone, turn at last to home. Far. Eyes that fire and sword have seen, and horror in the halls of stone, look at the last of meadows green, and trees and hills they long have known. The road goes ever on and on. Down from the door where it began, now far ahead the road is gone, and I must follow, if I can, pushing, pursuing it with eager feet, until it joins some larger way where many paths and errands meet. The road ever goes on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow, if I can, pursuing it with weary feet until it joins the larger ways. The road goes ever on 
and on, out from the door where it began, now far ahead from where the road has gone. Let others follow, if they can. Let them a journey new begin. But I at last, with weary feet, will turn towards the lightened inn, my ever-resting and sleep to meet. Still, around the corner, there may wait a new road, a secret gate, and though I oft have passed them by, a day will come at last when I shall take the hidden paths that run west of the moon, east of the sun. Roads Go Ever On by J.R.R. Tolkien Still haven't known a single woman who saw the movie. And I'm just going to say, the story is, I don't know if this is true, the rumor is that they changed that fucking movie, the Tolkien movie, so that women would go and see it. That they put in a whole bunch of romance and, like, like, like costumes and, like, that's what they built up so that women would go and see a biopic about Tolkien. And I literally don't know a single one of you that have, and you guys are always giving me movie recommendations, and I think that's fucking hilarious. Okay. This movie's for girls. We put pink on the poster. That's what girls like. Do you, does anybody, are any of you actual gamer girls, do you actually like game for 15, 20, 25 hours a week at least? Like, do you need, are there any like real hardcore gamers here? Do any of you remember the short-lived female gaming products? Do you guys remember that push? Like, there was, like, girl energy drinks and, like, girl snack food. Do you guys... Like, girl gamers, they need... Like, they had, like, special cakes. Like, special little Debbie cakes and, like, special mountain... I'm dead serious. Does anybody... Like, this was the craziest thing. I'm just being reminded of this before we jump into... They had to be terrible. If they were good, they would be a normal product. Don't you understand? Of course it's terrible. If the product was any fucking good, why would you aim it at gamer girls? Why would you aim it at that segment of just look at the market that you're limiting yourself to? Of course it's shit! It has to be! <laughs> if I make a cake, I guarantee you this. If I ever make a snack cake, and somebody comes into me and they're like, you know who we should target this at? We should target this at uh, East of the Mississippi male cosplayers between 20 and... Um, get the fuck out of my office! What the fuck is wrong with you? It's a snack cake. <laughs> the target is everyone. Do they have a mouth? Do they have an asshole? They're in the demo. Fuck you. <laughs> no, the asshole's not optional. I don't want them to die. If they don't have an asshole, don't worry. That's why I've built Little Jack's Colostomy Bag and Snack Fake Factory. No, I've got a whole other line of products for people who don't have assholes. I'm also opening a therapy and law office for people with too many assholes. Don't worry. The punchline will come. Wait, uh, there you go. Hey, you got it. Hey, that was funny. All right. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> I said that because this poem and its very first line... I said, uh, not the asshole thing. I'm so sorry. This would have been a good segue if I just segued a little harder. That was a horrible segue, the way that I did it. I said that because... no. I said the thing about all the girl gamer food because this poem and its first line uh, do invoke that for me. So here we go. 
<clears throat> Not all girls are made of sugar and spice and all things nice. These are girls made of dark lace and witchcraft and a little bit of ice. These are daughters made claw first and story mad, tiger, roar, and wolf bad. These are women made of terrible tempests and savage storms and the untamed unwanted. These are damsels made of flawless fearlessness, made more bravely than knights have ever seen. These are princesses made of valor and poison alike. They are here to hold court as your queens. Difficult Damsels by Nikita Gill, G-I-L-L. -L. <clears throat> if you want to change the world, love a woman. Really love her. Find one that calls to your soul who doesn't make sense. Throw away your checklist and put your ear to her heart and listen. Hear the names, the prayers, the songs of every living thing, every winged one, every furry and scaled one, every underground and underwater one, every green and flowering one, every not yet born and dying one, hear their melancholy praises back to the one who gave them life. If you haven't heard your own name yet, you haven't listened long enough. If your eyes aren't filled with tears, you aren't bowing at her feet if you haven't ever grieved having almost lost her. If you want to change the world, love a woman. One woman. Beyond yourself. Beyond desire and reason. Beyond your male preferences for youth and beauty and variety and all your superficial concepts of freedom. We have given ourselves so many choices, we have forgotten that true liberation comes from standing in the middle of the soul's fire and burning through our resistance to love. There is only one goddess. Look into her eyes and see, really see, if she is the one to bring the axe to your head. If not, walk away. Right now. Don't waste time trying. Know that your decision has nothing to do with her, because ultimately it's not with her who, but when you choose to surrender. If you want to change the world, love a woman. Love her for life, beyond your fear of death, beyond your fear of being manipulated by the mother inside your head. Don't tell her that you're willing to die for her. Say that you're willing to live with her. Plant trees with her. Watch them grow. Be her hero by telling her how beautiful she is in her vulnerable majesty, by helping her to remember every day that she is a goddess through your adoration and devotion. If you want to change the world, love a woman in all her faces, in all her seasons, and she will heal you of your schizophrenia and your double-mindedness and your half-heartedness, which keeps you spirit and body separated. 
which keeps you alone and always looking outside yourself for someone to make your life worth living. There will always be another woman. Soon the new shiny one will become the old dull one, and you'll grow restless again, trading in women like cars, trading in the goddess for the latest object of your desire. Man doesn't need any more choices. What man needs is woman, the way of the feminine, the patience and compassion, not seeking, non-doing, of breathing in one place and sinking in deep, entwining roots, strong enough to hold the earth together while she sakes off the cement and steel from her skin. If you want to change the world, love a woman, just one woman. Love and protect her as if she's the last holy vessel. Love her through the fear of abandonment, which she has been holding all of humanity. No, the wound is not hers to heal alone. No, she is not weak in her codependence. If you want to change the world, love a woman all the way through until she believes you, until her instincts, her vision, her voice, her art, her passion, her wildness have returned to her, until she is a force of more love, more powerful than all the political media demons who seek to devalue and destroy her. If you want to change the world, lay down your causes and your guns and your protest signs. Lay down your inner war, your righteous anger, and love a woman. Beyond all your stirring for greatness, beyond all your tenacious quest for enlightenment. The Holy Grail stands before you if only you would take her in your arms and let her go of the searching something beyond this intimacy. What if peace is a dream which can only be re-remembered through the heart of a woman? What if a man's love for a woman, the way of the feminine, is the key to opening her heart. If you want to change the world, love a woman to the depths of your shadow, to the highest reaches of your being, back to the garden where you first met her, to the gateway of the rainbow realm where you walk through together as light as one to the point of no return, to the ends and beginning of a new birth. If you want to change the world, love a woman. Lisa Kitore. C-I-T-O-R-E. <clears throat> okay. Should have saved that one for last because it's always a it's always a cleaner. We've done it a couple of times before. Or at least that's the second time. We've got one more though. Oh. No, that was the last poem. We've got two more pieces of prose. Fantastic. Here we go. <clears throat> My noble, incomparable Edith. I do not know how to express or analyze the conflicting emotions that have surged like a storm through my heart all night long. I only know that the first and foremost in all my thoughts has been the glorious confirmation you gave me last night, without effort, unconsciously, as of course of all I have ever thought of your mind and heart. You have the greatest soul, 
the noblest nature, the sweetest, most loving heart I have ever known, and my love, my reverence, my admiration for you, you have increased in one evening, as I should have thought only a lifetime of intimate, loving association could have increased them. You are the most wonderful and lovely in my eyes than you ever were before, and my pride and joy and gratitude that you should love me with such a perfect love are beyond all expression, except in some great poem, which I cannot write. Your own, Woodrow. Woodrow Wilson to Edith Wilson. <clears throat> Critics who treat adult as a term of approval, instead of merely descriptive term, cannot be adult themselves. To be concerned about being grown up, to admire the grown up because it is grown up, to blush at the suspicion of being childish, these are the marks of childhood and adolescence. And in childhood and adolescence they are in moderation healthy symptoms. Young things ought to want to grow, but to carry on into middle life or even into early manhood. This concern about being an adult is the mark of really arrested development. When I was ten, I read fairy tales in secret and would have been ashamed if I had been found doing so. Now that I am fifty, I read them openly. When I became a man, I put away childhood things, including fear of childishness, and the desire to be so very grown up. Excerpt from C.S. Lewis. Well, that was love. I'm not actually a C.S. Lewis fan. That was fucking fantastic. I'm actually a C.S. Lewis critic. That was lovely. That was fantastic. Ah, uh, that, uh, that may have just swung me a little bit. You might have just swung me whoever put that one in there. I am not a Lewis fan. That, that was great. That's a fun observation. I've never heard it before. All right. Okay. Wow, we got Tolkien and Lewis. That's crazy. Tolkien and Lewis in one day. Randomly. Unless the same person requested both, which I highly doubt. That's kind of weird. <laughs> the next day, I made another mistake. The intimacy of the previous day seemed to make the mistake even more repulsive to him because he got madder than usual. I wanted him to fire me. I would have suggested it, but I was struck silent. I sat and stared at the letter while he yelled, What's wrong with you? I'm sorry, I said. He stood quietly for a moment, then he said, Come into my office and bring that letter. I followed him into his office. Put that letter on my desk, he said. I did. Now, bend over so that you are looking directly at it. Put your elbows on the desk and your face very close to the letter. Shaken and puzzled, I did what he said. Now, read the letter to yourself. Keep reading it. 
over and over again. I read, Dear Mr. Gravy, I am very grateful for your referring. He began spanking me, as I said, referring. The funny thing was, I wasn't even surprised. I actually kept reading the letter, although my understanding of it was not very clear. I began crying on it, which blurred the ink. The word humiliation came into my mind with such force that it effectively blocked out all other words. Furthermore, I felt like that concept it stood had actually been a major force in my life for a while. He spanked me for about ten minutes, I think. I read the letter only about five times, partly because it rapidly became too wet to be legible. When he stopped, he said, Now straighten up and go type it again. I went to my desk. He closed the office door behind him. I sat down, blew my nose, and wiped my face. I stared into space for several minutes, every now and then dwelling on the tingling sensation in my buttocks. I typed the letter again and took it into his office. He didn't look up at me as I put it on his desk. I went back out and sat, planning to sink into a stupor of some sort. But a client came in, so I couldn't. I had to buzz the lawyer and tell him the client had arrived. Tell him to wait he said curtly. When I told the client to wait, he came up to my desk and began to talk to me. I've been here twice before. He said, do you recognize me? Yes, I said, of course. He was a small, tight-looking middle-aged man with agitated little hands and a pale scar running over his lip and down his chin. The scar didn't make him look tough. He was too anxious to look tough. I never thought anything like this would ever happen to me. He said, I never thought I'd be in a lawyer's office even once. And I've been here three times now. And absolutely nothing's been accomplished. I've always hated lawyers. He looked as though he expected me to take offense. A lot of people do. I said, it was either that or I would have taken these miserable blanky blanks next door. I have to get a lawyer to defend me anyway. You know the story. I did. He was suing his neighbor because they had a dog that barked all goddamn day. I listened to him talk. It surprised me how this short conversation quickly restored my sensibility. Everything seemed perfectly normal by the time the lawyer came out of his office to greet the client. I noticed that he had my letter in one hand. Just before he turned to lead the client away, he handed it to me, smiling. Good letter, he said. I went home that night. Everything was the same. My life had not been disarranged by the event except for a slight increase in the distance between me and my family. My behind was not even red when I looked at it in the bathroom mirror. But when I got into bed and thought about the thing, I got excited. It was more exciting, in fact, than I'd ever been in my life. That didn't surprise me, either. I felt a numbness, felt that I could never have a normal conversation with anyone again. I masturbated slowly to put the climax off as long as I could. But there was no climax, even though I tried for a very long time. And then I couldn't sleep. Excerpt from the book Bad Behavior Stories, excerpt from Secretary, by Mary Gate Skill. <clears throat> Thank you, Willow. 
What a great piece to start off the porn on. Thank you for all of the requests, girls. Uh, because the show is going long, uh, and because some of these are a little bit of the longer side, uh, I'm not going to be able to read everything today. I'm so sorry, guys. I am. I've, I asked for requests and requests and requests, but we're just we're going to go too long. And so I'm going to read at least one more. Uh, we've got a lot of great, really long stories. I know I promised I said a super marathon show. We're already three hours into this. And things have gone a little bit haywire, which takes a little bit of daddy's energy away, quite frankly. So we're going to read uh, at least one more of these. And then we'll see how we feel afterwards. Uh, but we will be moving it sexy, sexy, sexy for the rest of the show. Fingers fucking crossed. <clears throat> I glanced over at my computer, purposely aimed to the side so I could see across the lab to the man everyone called Dr. Kincaid. My temporary boss. Tonight he sat with his glasses partitioned office in his high back and leather chair, staring at his computer screen with a scowl on his face. What was he working on this late on a Friday night? I read this aside and tried to drag my eyes back to the computer screen, but the image of atrophic cells weren't interesting as Dr. Kincaid's narrowed features when he set himself back to concentrate on his work. His chiseled jaw had a five o'clock shadow that added a ruggedness to his otherwise regal appearance. The white lab coat strained against the sleek build of his muscles, and he leaned back in his chair. My lips still tingled from the unexpected kiss we shared at the Halloween party the week before. His exuded confidence had been my downfall when he wore a Scottish costume. Tight white t-shirt, red plaid sash, and a kilt that highlighted his muscular thighs. When we kissed, his concentration had been solely on me. And man, it had been fiery. All the way up until Monday, when he greeted me with a slow-burning gaze. A professional greeting. Don't stay too late, Sam. My co-worker Sharon said, as she walked past the open lab space on her way out, It's the weekend. I just have to get this thing done, and then I'll leave. I answered, have a good night. You too. At this rate, my mind enveloped in the thought of Dr. Kincaid's warm hands on my body. I wasn't sure I would finish my work. I was slacking on purpose, wanting the night to end on a different note. My finishing with the orgasm was on the table, though whether I could make it back or not to my house, I was unsure. My gaze wandered back to Dr. Kincaid's office. His head turned and our eyes looked from across the room to the third line that time, that night. Only this time, no one else was in the office. Fire rose from my chest to my cheeks, heating my entire body with a lasting, feverish intensity. He lifted his hand and crooked his fingers, motioning for me to come to him. My heart stopped a moment before galloping out of my chest. My hand went to the gold chain around my neck, nervously playing with the bare band. Why was he calling me in? Biting my lip, I hopped to my feet and ran my fingers down my lab coat. As I walked towards his office with all the sultry confidence I could muster, he watched me approach from under his dark lashes. Though his face was still that of my stoic boss, I knew what lurked beyond that serious demeanor. I wanted to kiss him just to see him smile again, like he did that night. 
When I reached the entrance to his office, I leaned into the doorframe and took a deep breath to settle my nerves. It didn't help. Did you want something? I asked with a nervous smile. He leaned forward in his chair, elbows bracing on the large cedar desk. He clapped his hands together and pressed them against his lips under his nose. What would those lips feel like against my neck, my breasts, or even my pussy? When I squeezed my legs together, I became acutely aware of a trickle of wetness. So I'm going to keep reading this story, but I said earlier that it would be pretty good of you guys all to talk about how sexy and good I sound. And since lots of you are going to be masturbating from here on in, this is pretty much your last chance. So this is where you say, Daddy, happy birthday. Daddy, you sound so good. Daddy, you sound amazing. Daddy, you never sounded sexier. Daddy, 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 daddy. This is whatever you want to say as a compliment. This is the time. Bring it on in. Let's move this slow. Just show to its final act before you begin rubbing those sweet little pussies for me. Good girl. <clears throat> he leaned forward. Oh, I'm just going to come out and say it. He pressed his wide hands against the table, making the veins under his skin even more evident. Sam, you've been a great asset the past three weeks. Thank you. That means a lot to me. But, he added, You've also become a distraction. My mouth went dry. My heart thundered in my chest. I pressed my hands, which were practically shaking with desire, against my sides. Otherwise, I fear they may have wandered over my body. Um, distraction? That came out wrong. I sure hope not, I thought to myself. What I'm trying to say is... He said as he rose to his feet and undid the only button of his lab coat. Can I take you out for a drink tonight? I licked my lips and swallowed. I don't think I'll make it through a drink. He stopped, hands tucked in his pockets, bracing his lab coat open. Why is that? He asked, concern lining his eyes. It, it's just that I... I released a long sigh and steeled myself. I can't stop thinking about the kiss we shared. With a quirked eyebrow in my direction, his lips peeled back into a smile. The breath exploded from my chest. That damn smile got me every time. Makes two of us. I really wish we hadn't been interrupted. Me too. I said breathlessly as a sudden thought came to my mind. I gave an anxious chuckle. What is it? I licked my dry lips. I hope it's not too bold, but I... Well, I wanted to find out the other night if you were wearing the kilt properly. You know? With nothing on underneath? Oh, really? Well, I may not be wearing the kilt now, but... Do you want to start where we left off? I simply nodded as I reached for the gold chain around my neck again to twist it out of habit. My left hand crossed over my chest, brushing the peak of my breast. The accidental touch sent a pleasurable shock through my spine, causing me to arch slightly. 
his igniting gaze tracked my every movement. He slid out of his lab coat and set it back on the chair. As he walked out from behind his desk and toward me, I scanned him all the way from his soft feet up his pant leg to the crook of his groin where I found an obvious bulge. As my eyes skated upwards, they locked with him intense brown gaze. My blood pooled low in my core as my heart rose higher. When we stood toe-to-toe, my head slanted upwards to hold his gaze. I could smell the mint and spice in his aftershave. Tell me what to do, he demanded. Kiss me. I barely got out the whispered reply before his lips were on mine. They were as soft as I remembered. The force made me moan all the suppressed desire from the past week scorched fire through my veins, lips still burning together. I tore my lab coat off, releasing some of the heat. When my lips parted, my tongue entered with a demanding touch. I brushed my tongue against his searching, wild, and hungry. One dark hand caressed my face as the other grabbed and pushed against my hip, forcing me back against the glass of his office with a resounding thud. I didn't care. We had the whole place to ourselves. Tongues locked, he pushed my body into mine. His hard cock rubbed against my clothed pussy and it made me squirm. His strong hand swept under my body until he found my breast. I moaned when he kneaded my breast before pinching my nipple. It was the jersey fabric. I'm wanting you so badly, he murmured, kissing a blazing trail down my neck as he continued to rub my taut nipple between his thumb and my pointer finger. Me too. As his lip moved down my chest, the drag of his light stubble tingling against my skin, he pulled the soft, stretchy fabric of my low-cut shirt down to kiss and sucked the swell of my breast. My nipples prickled with need. I grabbed at the strap of my bra and tore it down, exposing my rosy red nipple. He gazed down and smiled, rubbing his hips against mine before dipping his head into my chest to give me what I asked for. My breath hitched when his lips brushed over my nipple, harnicked to an even firmer peak. His tongue darted out before his mouth closed over it in a hard suck that sent a shock straight to my clenching pussy. My legs shook and went weak. Dr. Kincaid pressed into me, holding me into place as he kissed his way back up my body and his hand massaged my free breast. Just tell me what you want. He said, his warm breath tickling my ear, making the hairs on the back of my neck rise. With my breath haggard and my face burning, I tore at the button of his shirt to undo it. I want to feel you, I demanded, his grunted approval making me smile, a sense of confidence I hadn't had as it washed over me. Together we got his coat and shirt off, leaving his muscular torso exposed. I ran both hands over his pecs to feel the soft bristles of his short chest hair. My nails dug into his skin where we kissed again. He groaned and returned his hands, found the clasp on my pants, before tearing on my body. As he rose, I skinned my hand down his chest until I reached his bulge. You're so hard, I moaned, grabbing at the length of him through his pants until I felt the broad tip of his penis. My legs quivered at the thought of him inside me. He grabbed my ass in both hands and pulled me against him, trapping my hand against his penis, with the cheeks of my ass spread around his thong, air licked at my wetness. 
fuck my pussy with your tongue? I demanded, wanting to feel the thrill of that confidence boost once more. It paid off. Dr. Kincaid smiled that heartwarming grin I was after, and I melted. I wrapped my legs and arms around him as he lifted me right off the ground. As he walked us across the room, his harness pressed into my crotch of my satin thong with every step. He set me down on the chair, slid his desk out once again, and our lips locked in a wild kiss. My body thrummed with anticipation of what his kiss promised. His eyes drank me in. You're so sexy. Clad only in blue satin thong and a bra pushing up my breast, I surrendered to my body, self-assurance flowing in my euphoric heaps. Lifting my feet off the edge of his desk, I gazed at him from between my legs. Dr. Kincaid grabbed at my thighs and pulled them apart to kiss them along the inside of my calf as he lowered himself to his knees. He brushed his lips to my thigh and I pressed the satin into the clit and swirled it around. I jumped and moaned as the pleasure soared from the groin to my bobbing breasts. You're so he groaned, biting right along into my thigh. Before I could respond, he pulled my thong to one side, exposing me as I watched him descend until I felt the heat of his mouth. Fuck, I exclaimed when his tongue swept over my clit. My hips rose off the table. I felt the pull of his smile between his legs. He licked my clit repeatedly with his bold tongue. My senses heightened on the growing shocks around my clit, my back squeaking and sliding in the puddle of accumulated sweat on the desk as he sucked up the little nub with his hand, with his head. I tangled my fingers into his black unruly hair and held onto his tongue as his lips kept me in ecstasy, my toes curling and my vaginal muscles trying to clench around something, anything. So close to the edge, I closed my eyes, head thrashing until a cool breeze of abandonment replaced his tongue. When I opened my eyes, I found him standing before me, his hard penis standing and ready. My mouth watered as he stepped towards me, offering himself to me. I sat up, took his dick in my hand as he stroked it down to the base. I pushed on his hips with a stern touch. His breath hitched when I leaned over and I suckled the tip between my lips, smelling my own arousal. Turning my head to the side, I smiled up at him before sliding him down my throat and sucking as I came back up. His smooth but hard as rock penis throbbed in my mouth, causing my midsection muscles to spasm with anticipation. A strong hand on my shoulders slowed me to a halt. I gazed back up at him, a smile still playing on my lips. Your mouth feels so damn good. I can't wait to fuck you. He pushed me against the table and absently stroked his penis for a few times, as if unable to help himself before he positioned it against me. Staring me down, he rubbed the tip over my clit down to my warm, slick entrance. We both groaned when he tore himself away and pushed himself up my clit once more. Tell me what you want, he demanded between his clenched teeth. Dr. Kincaid, please. His eyebrows tickled upwards in question, demanding that I say it. Fuck me. Please. Just... Ha! His penis sheathed home in one fluid thrust. He groaned and grabbed my thighs, holding me to him as he pulled back and thrust again. Yes, I whispered. Sweet shocks flooded my body as his thickness finally filled me completely. 
He grabbed at the back of my neck and held me in place as he kissed and thrust into my body repeatedly, deeper and harder. Our bodies slapped together. The table rocked with his pounding thrust. As I was approaching the edge again, I grabbed my breast and he ducked down to watch the action. Knowing that I had his undivided attention, I moved one hand into his line of sight. Yes, he groaned, continuing to thrust. Touch yourself. I happily obliged, dancing my hand in between my folds and around my clit in tandem with his thrusting. Fuck, I shouted. That's it! His encouragements whipped my hand into a circular pattern which matched the rhythm which he set in steady thrust. Come all over you. I will come all over you. The suddenness of the sensation of him sucking my nipple back into his mouth sent me careening over the edge. My body went taut, my breath stilled in my lungs as my muscles spasmed in a wave of pleasure rocked through my body. Dr. Kincaid smiled, an expression of complete and utter satisfaction I hadn't seen from him before. With one fluid motion, he twisted my orgasm-limped body to the side. Bowling me over, he captured my lips in a kiss as if he was claiming all of me and began a slow rock into my tight pussy that was still spasming around him. With each time thrust, he built a crescendo again, but this time with a slow vibration of tightening muscles. I couldn't possibly. He threw his head back and pace turned from deep to languid to frantic and wild. The head of his urgency sent another sudden heat wave that washed over me. As he grunted through a deep finishing groan, his veins protruded from his neck, and I came along with him again. His face fell to the valley between my breasts, and we both panted until I drifted back to reality. Didn't that satisfy your curiosities? He whispered. Thank you, Dr. Kincaid. Call me David. Lab Chemistry by Jessica Kruger. K-R-U-E-G-E-R. A bit of an odd spelling for Kruger there. There's an E in there. You'll have to remember that when you look him up. Because <clears throat> that was very good. That was very good. I, I'm just going to say my biases always use cock, always use dick, always use pussy, always use cunt. Uh, that's my bias as a writer who reads and writes a lot of porn. Uh, remember, I used to read pretty much only erotica to get off for years of my life as well. I'm an avid consumer of erotica. Always. I love it. And I always say default towards dick, cock, pussy, cunt. Almost always. Almost always. Uh, but that was a great story that just had penis. Uh, all throughout it, and that penis sounded really sexy. For some reason, the penis in that one sounded really good to me. Like, that was a good penis use. I liked it. Something about the Dr. Kincaid and penis, it works. Like, you can imagine his little cock with a little lab coat on it. Like, that's my penis. All right. We're going to do one more today. I've got two really, really long ones. So, whoever suggested... Uh, Hellfire, and whoever suggested Three of Hearts. I'm saving both, and know that I love you, and I did ask for big long ones today, but I went a little too long with my story and my, and my bullshit, uh, so I'll have to do that another time. Apologies. We've got one more sexy story. What a long show. It was written with some reluctance. 
that she made her way down the steps to the subway that night. The mere idea of the long commute home was always excruciating so late at night, but especially so at the end of what had turned out to be a very long week. All she could think of was tearing off her clothes, wrapping up in her sheets, and cozying up with her laptop. Spinster living at its finest, she thought to herself. Standing on the platform, she fumbled with the rat's nest of headphone cords that pulled from her coat pocket as she waited for the train to arrive. It was quiet, save for the subtle moan that creeps up from the belly of the subway tunnel before a train arrives. When the train finally made its approach, she didn't hear anything through the haphazard melody playing directly into her eardrums. Headphones are the most important piece of a modern-day commuter's uniform, after all. No self-respecting person would dare endure public transit without being able to properly block out all of the people around them. The doors closed and invited her on board. She stepped into an empty car as she was left to imagine the hissing sound they must have made closing behind her. Despite the overwhelming selection in the empty car, she sat down in the seat right next to the door. She had a clear view of the next car in front of her, and as she peered through the window, she imagined stories for the few people occupying the space. A tired young woman with frazzled hair and exhausted features looked as though she was about to cry as she fought through a yawn. She was almost definitely contemplating the execution of a murder-suicide with her two obnoxious kids spinning around the metal pole in front of her. An older gentleman frowned through the white scruff salt and peppering his cheeks as he peered down his pointed nose, pretending to read the newspaper in his hands. As he adjusted his furry hat... He may have wondered how his ex-wife was doing, why his daughter never calls anymore. A dark-haired man in a black dress coat was playing intently with the phone between his legs. The messages on the screen painted a perpetual smirk on his clean-shaven face. Dressed like that, he was probably on his way to a snazzy date with a very pretty, albeit vapid, girl. The sexy subway's lady voice sang out a series of names and directives as the train approached each station. One by one, the passengers in the other car stood obediently to the sound of their siren song, disembarked from the train. Her eyes wandered out to the platform and watched them trudge grudgingly towards the inevitable winter cold, awaiting them at the surface. The doors whooshed shut. They disappeared forever. Looking back, she noticed the dark-haired man was still as perched directly opposite her. I can swear we've read this one before. He, too, was staring out at the passing darkness, absentmindedly twirling his phone around with one hand between his legs. She discreetly traced the edge of his jawline with her eyes. He must have felt her gaze as she reached his temples. He turned back to face in her direction. His intense, dark eyes found hers for a moment before she was able to look elsewhere pretending to be in the process of scanning her entire field of view. She felt herself blush all the same for being spotted. He ran his free hand through his hair and tugged at a scarf while looking down at the phone and did not require any actual attention. Though his head was down, she didn't doubt that he was grinning. 
The next day, she materialized far beyond the obscurity of the tunnel, and he stood up. She felt an odd sense of disappointment. I know we fucking read this one before, realizing that this would be the end of the line for their non-encounter. Somewhat disappointed, she looked down at her phone, scrolling through the infinite playlist of songs she had heard too many times before. She assumed that the doors had closed because she felt the lurch of the trans inertia shift between her once more. She looked up, realized that he was now standing in front of her. There was a soft determination growing behind his eyes. Why isn't he saying anything? She wondered. Why don't I say anything? Inexorably speechless, she cautiously tugged the headphones from her ears. It was always stifling underground, but there was an unfamiliar heat beginning to burn from somewhere deep inside her. He advanced towards her until the space separating them was minimal. He removed his glove and caressed her cheek. The tips of his fingers were cool, but a certain warmth swelled from his palm as it connected with her skin. She felt herself yield to his advance and brought her own hand up to meet and affirm her consent. Reaching up towards his neck, she traced her hand along the length of his gray scarf. A sudden wave of conviction washed over her as she tightened a grip around it and pulled upright to meet him. She breathed in an aroma reminiscent of Italian Renaissance art and timelessly questionable decisions and lingered in that moment before she slowly moved her lips towards his. There comes a point in the physical magnetism tends to take over, allowing the poles to snap together as nature intended. This was one of those moments. She felt his smirk of satisfaction give way to the cool tingle of anticipation. With the left hand still anchored on his scarf, the other wrapped around the back of his head. She was so high in that moment that she thought of letting go, and it gave her a sense of vertigo. His arms reassured her safety as he wrapped them around waist. He ran his fingers under her hat and through her hair as she resigned herself to his embrace. He gave her the base of the skull a gentle yet deliberate squeeze. Her right hand moved from cradling his head to the back of his neck along the curvature of his strong spine. She sneaked her hand under his coat and after a moment of deliberate hesitation firmly grasped the flesh of his butt through his dark jeans. For a better grip, her left hand freed the scarf and swept up to clasp his strong jawline. Though it may have been a simple shift on the train in the next station, she felt his whole body non-agreement, the route her hands were taken. As if she needed a moment to breathe, she pulled away and took a step back. She was, however, far from finished with him and encouraged him to follow her lead. Leaning her back against the wall behind them, he leaned his body into hers, braced his frame against the anchor of the wall. She could simultaneously feel the surge of his arousal in front of her and the vibrations of the train plugging along on the tracks, pressing into her back. He did a sweep of her face and neck with his hand before sliding it down the front of her coat. His breath deepened with the pop of every button. Her coat opened to invite his free hands to slip behind her neck and down over her chest to cup the underside of her breast. He then slipped into the curve of her waist and eventually down to her hip, which he gripped with the intensity of a mountain climber. He slipped his cool fingertips under the edge of the cardigan and gazed the skin below her back. Her sharp inhalation of a grasp betrayed her approval. 
He pulled back towards him, and their hips rolled and flowed into each other like two waves meeting at the sea. His hand then moved unflinchingly down between them until it found the space between her legs, where he traced the seam of her leggings up towards her inner thigh. Once he reached the crook of her groin, he passed his hand gently over the periphery of her labia. The warmth from his palm encouraged a localized, tingling sensation in the tip of her clit. She sighed into his parted mouth as his palms, with entire vulva, as one would a ripe mango, firmly enough so as not to drop it with a gentle enough to not dare bruise or break the skin. He nuzzled into the crook of her neck, and she felt the energy building in her clit surge along with her lips towards the premium and back again. Her eyes closed and her head rolled back to push against the wall behind her as he slid his hands up to find her waistband and back down again under her panties. He allowed his touch to linger with appreciation on her triangular patch of hair for a moment before moving gingerly towards his final destination. Before pulling his finger back on anything in particular, he did a general sweep of the area like a blind man taking in a work of art. He used his hands to see the blood flowing towards the tips of his fingers, her labia swelling around her clit, throbbing in response to his light pressure. He softly separated her labia with his index finger to release a swell of wetness that had been growing since the moment he had put his hands on her, which was met by a quiet scoff of excitement. He pressed his noise a little deeper into an exposed neck and breathed in a racing pulse. He dipped his fingers into the puddle and backtracked slightly to acknowledge the pleasure button pleading for attention. He moved back and forth over her hood a few times until his fingers danced like a ballerina swirling circles around the area. She felt herself swell and harn beneath his fingertips. Again, the train heaved to a halt. Still, no one interrupted their public display of gratification. Mirroring the sigh of the door sliding shut, she let out a subtle moan and felt her hips gyrate encouragement to his rhythm. Echoing the beginning of the encounter, she reached her hand down to meet his in order to guide him to her sweet spot. Why don't you take a seat? He said. His voice was laced with an accent she couldn't quite distinguish. She reversed slowly, trusting that the bench would catch her. He kneeled down in front of her and placed his strong hands on her waist once more. In one fluid movement, she lifted herself as he coaxed her leggings along with her underwear down towards her ankles. She lifted her feet up to the invisible stirrups on either side of her hips, spread her knees wide to reveal herself to him, and brought her middle finger down between her legs to take over the job he had started. He took a moment to admire her technique before acknowledging the invitation being extended by her coy smile, he clasped both hands behind her head and guided his mouth towards her finger. He kissed the crease of her groin, traced the hairline up and down both sides, lingering for a moment. He breathed his anticipation towards the center of her loins. She brought her other hand up to grab gently at his hair, and the flat of his tongue embraced her clit. His tongue massaged her clit in a consistent, circular motion while he simultaneously began to tease the outer edges of vagina with the pad of his thumb. Another stop comes and goes. She couldn't see anything through her makeshift blindfold. Her eyelids were bound shut in ecstasy. She immersed herself completely in the moment, forgetting that the source of the pleasure was, in fact, coming from another person. 
He maintained a steadfast stream of tongue circles and thumb massages, only to be interrupted by the occasional delving deeper into her vaginal canal with a curious index finger. He then traced back up to the internal wall, only to return to the pulsing shallow end. There was a sudden shift and how intensely he was manifesting inside her, the mysterious understanding that distinguishes appreciation of pleasure and anticipation of something more. It was subtle at first, as it always is. The heat trickling out from between her legs began to surpass that which could be reduced by his mouth. She began a spasm in her hip muscles that pressed into his. Her butt cheeks pressed closer and closer together, and then the edge of her vaginal opening was wrapped tightly around the tip of his thumb. At this, the tension continued to grow. An imaginary wind passed over his shoulders and caused a shiver as well, which moved leisurely down the small of her back. She fought the urge to tuck her tailbone under and push further into her hips, pressed further into his face. He didn't falter, using his free hand to support her sacrum, while still shuffled into the perfect position. Her abdomen went taut, her chin tucked towards her chest, and her throat tightened as if to prevent the rise from escaping through her mouth. Her knuckles went white on the edge of the bench. Her breath grew deep and concentrated. Though every muscle fiber in her body was firing, she was paralyzed. After a moment of silence, the force of release washed over her, and her hips began to collapse into his hand. She released her grip on that bench and grabbed onto the other side of his head. Just slow down a little, she gasped. He followed her direction, allowed her to relish the hot, cold gush of liquid energy racing down the length of her spine and out the tip of her toes. She gulped in her inhales like she hadn't breathed in years and sputtered each exhale out through clattering teeth as she met the build and subsequent release of every mini pulsation that followed. Despite the gradual decrease in intensity, each clench of the muscular wall took a little longer to let go, as if clinging to a distant memory that was already gone. It took a moment to admire her post-orgasmic bliss when the sexy lady voice interrupted with an announcement of the next station. He's looked up as if responding to the call of a war trumpet. When he looked back at her, still no words needed to be exchanged, she understood the next stop was his. She finally let her body go limp. The delusion of fantasy slipped away more abruptly than she would have liked, and she suddenly became frighteningly aware that her pants were down in a public place. She pulled her leggings back into place, and the train pulled up to its block. Because she remained mildly petrified by pleasure, he simply caressed her cheek once more. Have a good night, he said over his shoulder at her as he debarked onto the platform. He didn't look back as the doors closed. She watched him pull out his phone and mount the stairs, and he was swallowed by the sky. She let out the empty train car rock back and forth as it carried her further along on its snaking path, like shaking everything on an etchette screen right into oblivion. With one hand on her forehead in disbelief and another dumbfounded smile on her face, she listened as the sexy lady voice declared the name of a station she did not recognize. Please take note, this is the terminal station, said the lady. All passengers must now get off. <clears throat> Strangers on a Train by Jane Renault. R-E-N-A-U-L-T, Jane Renault, or Jane Renault, 